Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. The reality we live in can be a very strange place. Most of the time, fact being stranger than fiction. How will we ever start to understand this reality we live in unless we question everything? Join me and a guest as we unravel the mysteries of this reality one topic at a time. This is Increase the Reality with Shane Jones. What is up, inquirers, and welcome to the one, the only, Inquiries of Our Reality. Today, I have the honor of speaking to someone who's been doing heavy research into the phenomenon we know as sleep paralysis and the spiritual war that's hiding just beyond the curtain of our reality. But before we can get into that, if you guys don't mind taking an extra five seconds to rate the show on Spotify, I would definitely appreciate it. Or if you're so kind as to take an extra 30 seconds to review the show on iTunes, uh, of course, we'll read it on the show and give you guys a shout out. Uh, and with that, that's the only way that the show is going to continue to grow and uh, get seen by new listeners. Uh, so the ball's in your guys' court. And anything that you guys are willing to do to help the show out, I definitely appreciate. And uh, I definitely want to give you guys a shout out for doing so. And if you're not already, of course, don't forget to go and follow the show on social media if you want to get updates on anything going on, uh, be it new episodes, uh, events I might be attending, anything that I deem as post-worthy, of course. Uh, the one that I'm the most active on is Instagram, uh, but I do have a Facebook set up, but everything kind of gets pushed off of the Instagram onto the Facebook. So if you guys are trying to interact with me directly, the best place to do so is through Instagram. Uh, you guys can also pop on to the Telegram or the Discord. Uh, recently, I took the Bizarre Encounters and the Inquiries of Our Reality Telegrams, combined them into one, and uh, now just call it the Open Minds Media Chat Telegram. Uh, so that one's in the process of getting built up a little bit, but the main focal point is that we've been building up the Discord. Uh, we got a lot of cool stuff going on over there as far as uh, we restructured it, made it a little bit better, uh, a little bit easier to interact. Uh, so if you guys want to pop in and become part of an awesome community with some awesome like-minded people, I uh, definitely recommend going and checking out the Open Minds Media Discord. And uh, if anybody's interested in being a guest on the show, whether you're a researcher, uh, author, experiencer, contactee, a paranormal investigator, uh, occultist, um, X 20 back survivor, uh, whatever you want to call it. I, I can go on with this list for on, forever. Uh, if you're an open-minded individual, I want to sit down. I want to have a conversation with you. I want to talk about your experiences and your knowledge. So don't hesitate to shoot me a message on Instagram, uh, or you guys can email me at inquiries of all reality podcast at outlook.com, or you can go to the link tree, fill out the submission form, and that will go directly to my email. 
Uh, make sure you check your spammer junk folders. Make sure that no responses get lost because I do respond to all of you guys, of course, because you guys took the time to send me a message. So the least I can do is take the time to respond to you guys. And uh, if you guys enjoy the content that I put out, I also do Bizarre Encounters. I know that I've uh, talked about it on every single show since we started it. But if you guys aren't already going and checking that out, I definitely recommend doing so. My uh, two awesome co-hosts, Orn and Jenny, are killing it over there as far as uh, getting into theories, ideas, and uh, just like the name says, Bizarre Encounters in general. Uh, whatever that happens to pertain to, be it cryptid, supernatural, uh, extraterrestrial, um, any of that cool stuff. And uh, if you guys want to keep tabs on everything that I do, you guys can go and check out the OMM uh, Instagram. There is a good spot to kind of get updates on anything going on with both shows all in one place. Uh, so if you don't want to follow the individual Instagrams, uh, the most, the least you can do hopefully is uh, go and check out the Open Minds Media Instagram to get updates on everything. And uh, if you guys want to support the show, there's a couple of ways to do so. The number one way, of course, is to go and become a Patreon subscriber. Uh, there's multiple tiers over there, so figure out which one suits you the best. Uh, you'll get things over there such as ad-free episodes, uh, early access to episodes, uh, some of them even being two, three months in advance. Um, you'll also get lives of episodes. Uh, you'll also get live replays of episodes, of course, if you're not able to make it to the lives, which is the uh, raw video format of all the episodes. If you guys are interested in checking that out, uh, you'll also get exclusive discounts to the merch store. Uh, there's going to be some exclusive giveaways. And uh, one thing that I'm going to incorporate, and I don't know if it's going to be through the Discord or if it's going to be through the Patreon. I haven't fully decided yet, but we're going to be starting to do a monthly hangout. Um, I, of course, will be at all of those. And uh, Orn and Jenny are going to try their best to be able to make it to those too. So it'll be a fun little hangout for everybody. And of course, all of the uh, listeners and whoever else wants to pop in can pop in, ask questions, converse with us. And uh, it's just going to be a straight up hangout. And I think you guys will hopefully really enjoy that when we start doing that. The second way, of course, that you guys can support the show is through donations. Uh, there's multiple ways to donate, uh, be it through PayPal, Cash App, Venmo, or Red Circle, which is the RSS host for the show. If you guys want to donate that way, of course, go down to the bottom of the show description. You'll see something along the lines of donate on Red Circle. And uh, anything you guys donate, if it doesn't give you the option to put your name, uh, some kind of little message or something, uh, shoot me a message. Let me know that you guys donated. And of course, I want to give you guys a shout out on the show for doing so, because uh, the only way that I'm able to progress and keep getting to do the things that I want to do is with your guys' help. And some of those things include being able to go to conventions, do some shows, be able to get out there and meet you guys. Uh, and of course, I need a little bit of backing to be able to do that. Um, so anything that you guys throw in, of course, is going to be going back towards the show and making it so the show can grow. So I appreciate anything you guys do. That's uh, that's the point I'm trying to get at here. And uh, the third way you guys can support the show is through the Open Minds Media merch store, where there you'll find designs for not only this show, but all of the different shows I do. And uh, I should be incorporating some new designs over there pretty soon. Uh, I've been working on some new stuff, so it won't just be the logos for the shows. There should be some new stuff incorporated over there, uh, one of which will be a Stay Bizarre shirt that I've been working on for uh, Bizarre Encounters, which is kind of our catchphrase at the end of the show. And uh, another one I'll be working on for inquiries is I know a lot of you guys enjoy the the saying that's in the beginning of the show. Um, so of course, I'm going to incorporate that into a t-shirt because I think that uh, it'll turn out really cool and I think you guys will really like it. Um, so yeah, just keep your eyes over there. Uh, I should be posted on the Instagram when those designs become available. And uh, hopefully anything that you guys get, if you don't mind sending me a picture of you guys wearing it, I'd love to repost it and show that there's love and support out there for the show. And uh, while we're talking about love and support, I uh, definitely recommend going and checking out Crypto Theology if you guys are interested in cryptid uh, merchandise uh, or paranormal alien, all that stuff. Anything that kind of gets accompanied under that umbrella. Joe over there is killing it with his awesome designs, uh, original designs, parody designs of stuff. Um, he's got a lot to offer. So I definitely recommend going over there and checking out Crypto Theology. 
Uh, everything that I mentioned, of course, all available under the link tree, which is available down in the show description. And with that, let's get into the show. Please welcome to the show, author Vicky Joy. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, we we're talking for a little bit before, and uh, I can already tell this is going to be a great conversation. You have a lot of interesting things to say that I feel the listeners will really enjoy. Awesome. Let's get to it. Uh, I guess a good spot to start off that I usually like to do with anybody that's a guest on the show. Uh, I like to start off with uh, like who you are, what you do, for anybody that's not familiar, and uh, what exactly got you into what you do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, so I'm primarily an author, though. I, I do research and I, I speak and travel and things like that. But I actually wanted to be an author or a writer since I was 10 years old. I kind of decided uh, I got a lot of encouragement from a fifth grade teacher. And I, I was never kind of one of those people that got a lot of attention in school. And so all of a sudden in fifth grade, I had a teacher that was so encouraging for of my writing. And, you know, when you're young, and all of a sudden, someone is really encouraging you in a certain area that can, that can really uh, formulate, you know, the path that you take in life. And in, in my case, that, that sort of is what happened. But what I found out after that was my mom was was a writer. And I don't think that I knew that really until it came out that I wanted to be a writer as well. So uh, my parents strongly encouraged that. And they were always um, helping me find classes and find me little computers. And uh, I actually went to college to get a writing degree. So that was kind of always the plan since I was 10 years old. But what what I wasn't planning on is, uh, you know, back when I was a kid, if you want, if you were a female, and you were a Christian, and you wanted to be a writer, there was kind of one little genre you could really do. So you could either write like Bible study, devotionals, like self-help kind of things for women, or you could write fiction. And I wasn't really interested in either one particularly, but my mom, who was a writer, told me, you will never get published. Like there's rules in the publishing world and uh, just no one is going to publish the kind of stuff that you want to publish. So uh, lo and behold, the uh, the publishing world has come a long, long, long way by way of self-publishing and uh, and just the freedoms that a lot of writers now have, writers and researchers, as you know, from even just all the people doing podcasts and the people self-publishing books and all of kind of the fringe and conspiratorial things that are out there. So this is sort of, I think, the best time in the world to be alive if you're a writer or a content creator. So um, the reason I went in the direction that I did and wrote the book that I did, which is They Only Come Out at Night, Exposing the Dark Weapon of Sleep Paralysis, uh, I have a lot of people like, what in the world did you write on that topic for? And uh, pretty much because it was something that I encountered in my own life for 47 years, and I knew that other people were suffering from it. And uh one of the things that my mom taught me as, as a writer is she said, whenever there is a, uh, whenever there's something where there's no books out there, that's, there's a market for that. And if you're the one that discovers that there's nothing out there, then you're the one to do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> like fate has been handed to you, Frodo. Right. You know, so, uh, um, 
So I don't really think I even thought through the potential consequences of how disastrous it could be to write a book on sleep paralysis. Cause I was just like, Oh, this is so cool. There's not that much stuff out there. And there's so many people out there who've experienced this. And I think I've kind of got some of this figured out and we got to get this information out there. But for, for all that, I'm pretty surprised, Shane. I, you would think that I'd be getting a lot of flack, but I think we are in just that perfect niche of, of time right now where there's not a lot of genuinely taboo topics left. We're fairly desensitized. I mean, if we can be out there on the airwaves talking about some of the stuff that we're talking about, like what the elites are up to, you know, the P words and adrenochrome and all this, you, you can talk about super scary nightmares, I think, without being put in a psych ward and being told, told you're schizophrenic. So that's I the lighter that, end. Usually, you know, like they're more yeah. so they want you to talk about the things that we talk about, like on this conversation rather than that. Cause even so it's like, it's all dark and fringy, but they'd rather you talk about things that half the people don't necessarily believe in versus like real world stuff that everybody's going to be like, wait a second. So <laughs> they're going to flag yeah. the, the elite weird stuff, but they're going to leave this kind of stuff up as just kind of like a damper, even if it is true. <laughs> Yeah, that is such a good point. That's such a good point. And, you know, there there are still people out there that I think probably think sleep paralysis is made up or exaggerated or goofy or, oh, you guys are just being drama queens like you had spaghetti before you went to bed and settled down, you know. But I, for the most part, I mean, from my perspective, I mean, I don't know what people are saying in the comment sections and whatnot, but the feedback that's coming directly to me and the emails that are coming to me and the people that are calling me, I mean, I'm spending a good five to 10 hours a week on the phone with people. I am getting to the point now where it's getting difficult for me to keep up with the mail because so many people have, have been writing to me saying, this is happening to me my whole life. I thought I was crazy. I, I had no idea other people were going through this. Uh, that finally makes sense to me. So there, there's always going to be naysayers out there, and I'm, I'm not really concerned with that. Uh, the fact of the matter is there are hundreds, if not thousands, if not tens of thousands of people that do know this is real. And those are the people uh, I want to have a conversation with. Those are the people I want to help. Those are the people I want to learn from. And uh, I, I kind of look at it like fishing. When when I go out fishing, I, I, I want a net full by the time I get home. I do not need every single fish in the ocean in my boat. Definitely agree with that. I mean, at least with the sleep paralysis stuff now, like before you talked about it and it was like, it wasn't really reaching all the people that it needed to reach, but because of where we are with the internet now, it's very, uh, like usually people when they're looking up sleep paralysis, it's because they've experienced it themselves. So it kind of helps with bringing that like niche audience back to you rather than getting all the flack of everybody that doesn't believe in it. You're only getting the people who have actually experienced it. And it's crazy to me to think that anybody can like deny it or say that it doesn't exist because it's one of those things that you experience it once and you realize how real it really is. And especially if you're somebody that's experienced it more than once, it's, it's extremely unexplainable. It, but it's like one of the most terrifying things that you could possibly imagine. And just even the fact that there's still not necessarily like a, like a, even just like a mainstream understanding of it that just shows like how weird and up in the air it is and that it really does need to have that attention to it. And it's never gotten that attention because it's never had the opportunity before. And again, I feel like there's 
even like the mainstream science knows that there's something weird to it. And that's why they still won't even put like a, this is what it is because anything else in the world, they'll instantly put a, this is what it is without necessarily knowing for sure. But like there's certain topics that they purposely are like, well, theoretically, uh, and it's like, you, you're not, you're not doing your normal thing. Usually you're throwing like a definite answer on people just to make them feel better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think one of the big reasons why I really wanted to write this too was, um, everything that I read on the, on the internet. And I suppose I shouldn't use an absolute like everything, but let's just say a vast majority of, if you put in a Google search and you put in sleep paralysis, I don't care if you're reading a medical journal or you're just reading a, someone's blog, much of the information that's being perpetuated out there about what this is and why it's happening and, and whatnot is just you know, throwing mud at the wall and hoping it sticks. And a, a lot of this stuff, it's not, it's not backed up with any footnotes or any research or, you know, occasionally you'll read about a sleep study or something like that. But uh, it's, it's, it's a real insult to the people that are going through it to just get online and read words like, e e even when you start using words like, delusion and hallucination there is a an assumption that in that that you're you think you're seeing something that's not really there or uh a lot of the information that's available online now about sleep paralysis either inadvertently or intentionally is discrediting the the experience of the people who have it and so we, we kind of live in this me, you know, me too culture now where we're supposed to believe every victim. So every child that is hurt, we're supposed to just, we, we go from the, the baseline of believing them and every woman who's been violated, we go from the baseline of believing them. And if there's a ritual abuse survivor or someone who's been through trauma, uh, we, we live in a me too culture now where the new rule that's been set for us culturally is that we believe every person who's been victimized. And yet then you've got people who have spiritual trauma or spiritual abuse. And so they're, they're kind of talking on a level of, Hey, I am also being physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and sexually violated, but it is perhaps by things not human. It might be technological. It might be militarized. It might be demonic. It might be spiritual. And, but at this point, the me too gets thrown completely out the window and we're not quite where we were decades ago, where it's automatically assumed that you're schizophrenic and, and all that. But uh, the average person, you know, way back in the day, if they went to a, a professional and talked about sleep paralysis, they were given some sort of a mental illness label. They were highly medicated. They were maybe put in a psych ward. Um, and nowadays, I think it's a little bit different. Now, when you talk about sleep paralysis, they're not necessarily going to going to do go to that extreme but they're still going to just now there's a bunch of new trendy things that like you have narcolepsy or you have sleep apnea and that's why you feel like you can't breathe at night and and i'm not saying that sleep apnea is not real or that that can't be i there's people with sleep apnea that also will have sleep paralysis but when we start burying the reality of this experience in medical jargon it doesn't help the people that are actually suffering from it. And uh, anyone who's suffered from it knows that when you're going through this, you're not looking for a pill or, or 
some sort of diagnosis, you're looking for the torment to stop because when you can't get any sleep at night and you're now in sleep deprivation mode and you're being terrorized and your family life and your marriage is being affected by it. And uh, these people, some of them with the extreme cases, it's, it's negatively affecting their entire life. And so we owe it to these people to give them more than a prescription or a pat on the head. Yeah. Cause I mean, if anything, the prescriptions, I don't know if they'd make them any worse. Cause assumably like the intention would be probably to give them some kind of like sedative that's going to make them sleep harder so that they don't have this like half awake type of experience. So if anything, like it's just going to make the situation worse because if you believe in like the spiritual aspect of it, uh, if you're like sedated out, it gives them more opportunity to instill fear in like a different realm or like a different area, because who knows if these things have the potential to like get into like your dreams. And if you're in this like half awake state, it might not be like a typical dream. It might be something that they're able to, to manipulate a little bit. And I mean, when it comes to all of these like weird experiences too, um, when people are like having them every single night, like it's, there's, again, there's more to it than just, uh, like giving somebody like a medication to fight it. Cause even if you're looking at it from like a, from like a medical side of it, um, when it comes to most things that it seems like it, it connects to the brain. Cause assumably this whole thing, if it is something scientific, it connects with the brain. I feel like more so with that rather than pumping it more full of chemicals so that it's not able to rebalance itself back out because then it's used to getting these chemicals on a regular basis. It's better to try to find a way for the brain to be able to do something on its own without added chemicals into it. Because then again, if you take those chemicals away, then it's going to, essentially have like a, like a withdraw from it. And it may not be able to recreate those chemicals ever again, depending on how long you were taking that medication for. So your brain chemistry is never going to be able to rebalance it back out. And in turn, again, if this is, is a spiritual thing more so than a scientific thing, then you're opening the doorway even more for other things to come and be able to enter into that person's space or mind or reality, whatever you want to refer to it as. Absolutely. I'm so glad that you brought that up and that we're going down this vein right now, because Personally, myself, and um, I kind of alluded to it very briefly at the beginning of the show, but I, I had sleep paralysis for 47 years from about three years old until 40 and uh, a lot like it didn't just happen a few times like it, it was it was like a hammer. It, I mean, it was it would come two, three, four nights in a row it'd go away for a little bit it'd come back. And so um, one thing that I can tell you is to this day, even though I haven't had a classic sleep paralysis episode in a while, I will never take like an Excedrin PM or a NyQuil. Even when I'm sick, I try to do everything that I can because this is another piece of the disinformation that's online. Yes, there, there are hypnagogic and hip, hypnopompic moments of altered states of consciousness. It's this, you know, very brief period of time where we're in, we're half asleep, half awake as we're drifting off to sleep and as we're coming back awake again. And that is the time where people do experience kind of the classic, I can't move, I can't scream, I see a shadow person in my room. But this, I think, is one of the biggest pieces of disinformation. And that is that the entirety of a sleep paralysis experience is those few seconds or minutes in the bedroom where you're drifting off to sleep or just coming awake and you're seeing these things in, in your room. 
Uh, anyone who's had sleep paralysis numerous times, so they've had enough time to observe what's going on and they, they have time to look for patterns and look for glitches and, and theorize and then look to see if their theories are true the next time it happens. Uh, the one thing that you will realize if this has happened to you many times is this. Many times the sleep paralysis starts in a theta state of sleep. It, it starts in a deep sleep, a deep theta state, or it starts in the REM. The actual sleep paralysis starts when you're deeply, deeply asleep. And when you're coming out of it and you're in your bedroom and you're seeing the shadow man, that's actually the tail end of it. And that's actually your body's adrenaline response to what has already been happening to you. The reason why I think a lot of people don't understand this is threefold. A, they just go online and they read what the experts say and just take it verbatim and don't question it, don't think about it, don't say, well, wait a minute, that's not really what was happening to me. Uh, the second thing is, is that a lot of people don't remember their dreams. So when they wake up in the bedroom and they see the shadow man, they remember all of that, but they don't remember the beginning of it. So they don't necessarily remember everything that has happened. And so what gets complicated about this is when you start taking sleeping pills or something where you're in a deep, deep like sleep state and you're going to be knocked out till morning, if these experiences are actually happening to you initially while you're asleep in the dream state, you're not going to be able to wake yourself up from that. You're actually going to be uh, stuck in it even longer. So uh, I, I learned a long time ago, I'm not taking, I, I won't even take all natural melatonin kind of stuff. I'm not going to mess with it because I don't want to be stuck in that. So um I could go in a million different directions with this. So I'll, I'll kind of let you take over because I don't want to just start babbling. But I will just tell you that when people wake up in their room and they have those few moments of fear where they see the shadow person or they can't breathe or, or whatnot, I, I just want to hit home to listeners. That is a small portion of the tail end of a longer astral experience that you no longer remember. In many cases, that's what's going on. I'm actually glad that you brought up exactly what you did because I have some personal examples that I want to connect with all of this. Uh, one being the fact of what you were saying with medication that I remember when I was a teenager and I was having a lot of these experiences that Benadryl would make it significantly worse. And anybody that's familiar with Benadryl knows that when you have Benadryl in your system, it just kind of makes you dark, groggy, like uncomfortable to begin with. So it's contributing to that fear state. And then connecting into even more of what you were saying, uh, for me as a kid, when I used to try to tell my mom about these experiences I was having, because they started so young that I don't even remember exactly when they started, um, I used to tell her that there was like this thing with green eyes that would watch me and I wouldn't be able to move in my bed. And she just kind of passed it on. Didn't really, she's like, are oh, you still sleeping? Like, it's fine. It's whatever. Like, so she never really believed in, it, even though she came from a house where they were um, like a religious family. So it's like they had that connection with the spiritual, but she didn't want to believe like this side of the spiritual. And at least for me, when I started trying to like rationalize what was going on, um, I kind of felt almost like I was somewhere else. Like my consciousness was like somewhere else, my soul, whatever you want to call it. And when I, I wouldn't remember any of my dreams, I still realistically barely even remember any of my dreams. I just haven't had a sleep paralysis moment in maybe like a year or two now, but I, ne I never remember the dreams anyways. But when I'd come back, 
um, that would be, I would almost feel like for me, it was almost like your consciousness re-downloading and like retrying to connect back into like your physical vessel. And in the turn of that happening, there's all of these dark things around you that would watch you. And I would never have any of them come close to me. I'd never have this sitting on my chest experience. It would be more so that I would be in a room and I'd see dark shadows off in the distance of like figures. And then one specifically taller than the rest that had green eyes that would watch me as I like came back into to my body and like I said, these experiences, they didn't, they used to happen continuously so much when I was a kid that it got to a point where it was almost like I wasn't scared of it, it became like a regular thing. And at that point is when they like stopped happening for a while, which kind of contributes into the whole aspect of them trying to use it for fear is that once it was a normal thing, they're like, all right, we're done with this. So then it came back as an adult for a little while. And it's a thing now where it'll bounce here and there where I'll go like a year or two and not have anything happen. And then all of a sudden I'll have a week where I'll have it like three days in a row. And the last time it, it like, it's semi-regular, I guess is a good way to describe it to the point where like even my significant other knows that like I have these certain times where like, I'll just be like moving. And it seems like she has that second sense connection with me. And she knows that I have like something going on and she'll like wake up out of a dead sleep to like, try to like, shake me awake because she knows I'm like having this like freak out moment. Like she just can sense it. Like it's really, really weird. Um, but it's like I said, it's, it's just so sporadic and I never remember the dreams ever connected with it. And I never see anything come close to me. So that's why, again, I feel like just at least for me, I feel like you, you leave and you come back and that's at least my experience with it. But that's not to be said that also, I think that there's a lot of different experiences that contribute into sleep paralysis in the aspect of there's thing people that will leave. There's people that are being harvested on where these things just sit around them. And then there's people that have like the dark hag experience, which I think is a totally different entity, totally different being that's not necessarily connected in with all of these. And more so that maybe like the sleep paralysis concept isn't so much something that's brought on specifically by one type of entity, but it's something that can be done to people like by multiple entities all at once, or it has something to do with us specifically, kind of like I was saying that we leave. And when we leave, it almost makes it so that everything kind of like will sit around and watch and wait because maybe their intention. And I don't know if anybody's ever heard of any stories of this happening, but maybe their thought and intention might be that maybe they could snag the vessel and exist in this reality, depending on what type of actual beings are around you. Um, and depending on how deep you get into like the whole shadow people concept, um, these things may not be exactly even what we visibly see what they are because they might be something that's beyond our light spectrum or something that's beyond our area of comprehension. So, you know, we could be calling them all shadow people, but they could be all beings that are from a place that we can't necessarily perceive. So these could all be different beings, but to us, they all look like they're the same beings. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I do think that there are many different agendas. And so I like what you said, uh, not everyone's experience with sleep paralysis is going to be exactly the same because I think that there are different agendas and different entities come with different agendas. And my experience is like yours though. Uh, I absolutely believe that mine is starting deep in, in the dream state and that it is an actual encounter and that it is a out of body or astral type of experience and what's very diabolical about sleep paralysis, because people wake up and they assume, man, that was a bad dream. And even if you get a sense that that was something a little more than a dream, or that was something spiritual, or that was something demonic, you still sort of assume, like, oh, thank God that wasn't real, or I, I was, thank God I was asleep. But 
this is where I think there is a very strong tie-in with the UFO abduction stories. Obviously, it's different. It's different entities. It's it's a different agenda. Uh, but what's similar? What I think what what I think they have in common is I also think that sleep paralysis is an abduction. It it is an abduction of whatever whatever word you're familiar with. Um, it uh, an an abduction of your conscience, your, your spirit, your soul, your light body, whatever. There's a separation there. It's an out of body being pulled into the astral. If someone were to walk into your bedroom at night, they'd see you sleeping. You'd still be there, but there are things going on in the astral realm during these episodes. And what's clever about sleep paralysis is when we wake up, not only do we often not remember our dreams or we don't remember all of them, we also don't have any sense of missing time. Because when we go to sleep, there's many, many hours that are unaccounted for. So when we wake up and four, five, six, seven, eight hours have gone by, we don't question it. We're not alarmed by it. So uh, when, when you have a UFO abductee, They'll be driving in their car or they'll be walking through a cornfield or they'll be at the side of a lake or walking through the woods. And it's a split second in their estimation, but they know something happened because they'll remember a bright light or something. And then they'll realize that several hours have gone by on the clock or, or you know, people will say, where have you been? You've been gone for four hours. And so that's the tip off to them that something has happened. And sleep paralysis sufferers don't often have that realization or connect those dots or search for what happened to them because we live in a reality where when we wake up after eight hours of sleep, we don't question where we've been or what we've done or what we've engaged in. And if there is some sort of a faint memory, we just chalk it off to it being a dream and What's so diabolical about sleep paralysis is if you are in another realm or dimension or plane and you are interacting with entities and you have no real concept of who they are or what they're capable of or whose team they're on or you don't have any sort of a concept of the physical carryover and consequences of the decisions that you're making in that dream realm. So there are contracts and covenants and agreements and vows and oaths being made. And you're going to wake up and you might not remember them. And you might not know that you partook in that. And I have so many people that come to me, especially the Christians. This one is, is the real, you know, mind, you know, they say, I've been a Christian my whole life. I've never played with a Ouija board. I don't dabble in the occult. I don't do X. I don't do Y. You know, and they list all the like the things that they perceive are going to be an open door to this. And, and they can't understand why in their physical life there are things manifesting that are typical of the consequences of having acted out in some sort of sinful or rebellious way. And what what we have to become more mindful of is that if we are being tricked into making some sort of vow or oath or agreement or covenant or contract in the astral realm and we wake up, whether we remember it or not, we have now legally bound ourselves into a covenant that, that can 
and needs to be broken. But if we don't know that that covenant's been made, we're just going to keep living our lives in ignorance and scratching our head, wondering why we're having all of these spiritual manifestations and hauntings and paranormal activity because we've done nothing to uh, pursue that. So why is it pursuing me? And so this to me, I think is the thing that is the most critical part of sleep paralysis. And it's the part that doesn't get talked about. People talk about the shadow people and they talk about opening up their eyes and not being able to move and not being able to breathe and trolls sitting on their chest and that stuff's all scary and it's traumatic and, and, you know, people do need to cope with that aspect of it. But I think that the most sinister, dangerous parts of the whole sleep paralysis episode are the parts that most of us don't have a memory of. Do you think that it might be an aspect of almost like something's inconceivable when it's like in a higher dimension or in a different method of thinking, almost like when people have like a psychedelic experience and they have something crazy that happens. And then once they come back to reality, they're not able to really like manifest it into words. Cause like for me, at least with like my experiences, like I said, I didn't really remember anything that happened ahead of time. But one thing that I would remember weirdly enough is I don't know about you, but I had these experiences where I would, go to sleep and then I would wake up and I'd see myself sleeping. And when I woke up from that, I would get dream, I would get sleep paralysis, but it seemed like whenever I was existing spiritually, like in this reality that I would remember things like I would have these weird experiences where I, like, I would go to like a friend's house and I'd freak him out the next day and tell him like, you know, something that was sitting on their table or just weird stuff. And I was also trying to confirm in my head that I wasn't just making this stuff up in my head and I was actually like seeing this. But every time I like wasn't doing that, I wouldn't remember anything. And the only time that I do remember something right before I woke up with sleep paralysis was this one time I was in this place that I, the best way to describe it is it almost looked like an obstacle course that was made out of like, uh, like wood essentially. And it was, on top of like these rocks that were in water and I was doing this obstacle course and I remember trying to jump from one platform onto another one and I fell and I landed in the water hard and I got caught up in this current and I smacked a rock and I was assuming that I like had died in the dream or whatever or wherever I was and I woke up and it was weird because wherever I where I hit on the rock it hurt but I had sleep paralysis and I couldn't like move on top of it and that was the only time that I remember like the dream but I couldn't differentiate if I was like in this reality or not because it didn't seem like a place that was like that it couldn't exist like in this reality it was it was kind of it was weird i don't i don't know how to explain but there wasn't like anything around it was just like in the middle of water and nothing else around besides this like obstacle course it was super weird yeah 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 it, it's interesting um and a lot of these places this is another this is another kind of tell because it is very difficult most people say well Vic, how, how am I supposed to control this? When I'm dreaming, I'm dreaming. I'm, I'm not conscious. I'm not thinking in terms of, you know, observing things or, or going lucid or watching my back. And I understand that. And it's the kind of thing where if this happens to you a lot, you do sort of learn out of necessity how to kind of train your, yourself to be observant and protective while, you know, of yourself when you're, when you're in these dream worlds. But there are certain tells that can alert you if if you if you can learn to be observant of your dreams and some of that is just i think the human brain is capable of more than we think there are mornings where i wake up and it gets it's 
gets harder to remember my dreams as I get older. And I will, I will wake up and I'll, I'll piece together as much as I can. Now, there's been a couple times recently where I've woke up and I can't remember one thing I've dreamt. And I have, as soon as you, you know, as soon as you open your eyes and you get out of bed, it's kind of like the snowflake melts, right? Your opportunity to remember is kind of gone. So I, I won't open my eyes and I'll still lay there and I will just say, this memory has to be in my brain. It's the way our brains work. We cache everything. It's there. I have to access this. And if I concentrate and sometimes I will pray and I will just ask God to reveal and bring that memory back. And you have to be patient. It doesn't just download immediately. But what I'm telling you is our brains have the capacity to find that filed information. If we really want it, we can learn to recall these things and we can learn to be more attentive. But there are some tells when you wake up. How do I tell if I was just having a regular dream or if maybe I was dimensionally somewhere else in a different plane Uh were the people that I was interacting with in that dream real to some extent, or is this just a figment of my imagination? So some of the things that you can look for that you might not recognize until you wake up and evaluate it, you might not recognize it at the time while you're asleep. But one of the tells is that like this place you explained out in the middle of the ocean with the rocks and the obstacle course, a lot of times if those places that were being taken are real we will reoccurringly be taken there again and again. So there are certain uh, sleep paralysis experiences I've had where it's a certain house. It's a certain place I've never been in real life, but I I go there repeatedly to the point where sometimes I'll have the dream and I'll go, oh, crap, I've had this dream before. I know exactly what's going to happen. I'm going to walk around that corner and something's going to jump out at me and then I'm going to get lost and then my car isn't going to start. And like, I can recall the whole thing. It's like watching a movie that you've seen over and over again. And so if you are often being brought to the same place over and over and over again, you have these reoccurring dreams, but they're not places in, in real life. That could be an indication that you're being taken to an actual room or an actual physical space in another reality. Uh, there's usually when you wake up, um, if, if it's a dream without a dream, if it's a dream within a dream or like an inception or out of body type thing, uh, where this is another thing that I think is disinformation on the web. They A lot of people say that when I have sleep paralysis, I'm a, I wake up, my eyes are open and I can see all this stuff in my room. And most people will argue with me when I say this, but my theory is that we are not really in our room and our eyes are not open. And I've tested this because I have gone to bed with sleep masks on for the sole intention of testing this. And I have, um, I have, I have realized that when you wake up and you see your bedroom, there's always a glitch. If you're not really awake, there's always a glitch. And if you have the presence of mind when you're afraid, and because most people when they have sleep paralysis, they're just trying to get out of it and they're 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 not observing because they're afraid. But if you if you wake up and you're in your bedroom or wherever you have gone to bed that night, whether it's a hotel room or the couch or whatever, 
if you scan your room really quickly, you will find one thing that doesn't match. Uh, you're going to have a window that's not really there. There's going to be something hanging on your wall that you don't really have hanging on your wall. The window is going to be on the wrong wall. You're going to be sitting on a chair instead of a couch. The headboard isn't your real headboard. The color of your bedspread is a different bedspread. There's always a glitch. And so this is sort of my totem to, to like uh, borrow a word from the movie Inception where the DiCaprio character had that little top that mm -hmm. he would spin. And that was his way, his totem of knowing like which reality he was in the real reality. And so all the years that I had sleep paralysis, I believed that I was waking up prematurely from, from a dream state and I was in my bedroom and these things were in the room with me. And the more I read about sleep paralysis, the more that concept was reinforced because that's what everyone else is saying. And that's what the information is saying. But there, when I wake up now and I'm seeing something in my room that is not there in reality, then I know I'm not really looking at my room. I'm still asleep. I'm, I'm deep within a dream within a dream. It's some sort of overlay over my pineal gland or whatever, whatever you want to, whatever sort of quantum technological explanation you, you want. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not really concerned with how they're doing it, but, but I can tell you that I think that the average person who wakes up in their room is not really awake in their room at that point. I'm glad that you mentioned that because Anytime that I've experienced it, I didn't know if it was just like my matter of perception or not, but it always seemed like the room was like, was bigger. Like everything was kind of in the right spot, but it almost seemed like the walls were maybe like an extra, like couple feet out. Like the room itself was just bigger, you know, or like I was like felt smaller or something maybe. And that could even just be a matter of like fear that if they're trying to instill this like fear state, that if they make you feel smaller, then you're going to be scared just off of the fact that the world seems bigger. And, uh, I'm, I, I forgot to ask it earlier in the show. Um, I wanted to know kind of like where your perspective comes on, like what you see the possibilities is possibly being. Cause when you get into like the theory that you just mentioned, you keep saying uh, the word glitch um, for me, at least it kind of connects into like the aspect of, uh, we we're kind of talking about a little bit earlier, but like almost like abduction experiences where maybe if you are being abducted, if you are physically being abducted, um, maybe, assumably some type of like advanced being um, might have some type of like virtual reality they could theoretically like stick you in. So, you know, you could be, you know, theoretically laying on their operating table, but you could think that you're laying in your room because they put some type of like virtual lens on you. And I mean, that also kind of like lays credence when you say the word glitch too into the whole idea of like a simulated reality that, you know, maybe the reason why these experiences happen is that it itself is a glitch in this as I like to call it, like an organic simulation um, that we could potentially be living in. Yeah, yep, absolutely. So I'll just kind of backtrack. I mentioned briefly that when I wanted to test this, I slept for months and months and months in, in a sleep mask to, to prove that if I had a sleep paralysis experience, uh, if I really am awake in my room, then when I have a sleep paralysis experience with a sleep mask on, instead of seeing my room, it'll just be black, right? So uh, I, I would put on a sleep mask and then I would double up and I would take like a, a t-shirt or like a pajama bottoms or something and I would wrap it around my head. So I was a double layered, like there's nothing I can't see out of this. So the first time it happened, I 
I was having the sleep paralysis. I woke up, I was feeling all of the vibrations and hearing the sound effects and could definitely feel the entity in the room that the terror started coming in. I couldn't move full on sleep paralysis. And so I did not see my bedroom. I was sleeping on my side. A lot of times people say that they uh, wake up on their back and that's typically the case with me too. But uh, in this case, I was on my side and what was fascinating, it was terrifying, but what was fascinating to me is not only did I not see my bedroom, but all I could see was, this is always hard to explain. So I have a sleep mask on. So imagine like the shape of these, like the sleep mask over my face. I could only see what was right in front of me in the shape of the sleep mask. So in other words, you know, in the movies, when the actor will put a pair of binoculars up and then you'll see like, as the viewer, you'll see through the perspective as if you're looking through the binoculars. So it's almost like you're wearing them like almost like goggles rather than like a sleep mask. Yeah. Yep. So I, everything that was outside of the shape of that sleep mask was blacked out. So it, it was almost as if I was looking through these goggles and I couldn't see anything beyond them. And the goggles turned into a mirror and I was seeing my own contorted face as it would look if I was terrified. And like, I saw my eyes widening and like, I saw like the look of fear on my face. It was like they, like the, like the sleep mask had turned into a mirror. And so I shook myself out of it and What was so fascinating to me about that was, okay, this this proves to me that we're not awake during these experiences. And we, our eyes are not open. It's a dream within a dream sort of a thing. They are able to hack our visual cortex. However they're doing that, if it's just a a hallucination or if it's an actual overlay, I don't know the physics of it. Uh, But the second time that I succeeded in doing this, I slept with the sleep mask on uh, and I I was at our cabin and I woke up and again, the room was black, but in the, just in the area where the sleep mask was, I saw what looked like a screensaver. And so there was nothing scary about it. There was nothing horrific, but it it looked like an old, like 1980s, like flying toasters kind of screensaver. (laughs) And it was, it it was all in like ectoplasm green. Everything was green. And even though what I was looking at was not scary, the thought came to me, if they, have control of my visual cortex, they can show me anything they want next. And so I was trying to wake myself up and do whatever I could because I was afraid, you know, kind of like, you know, you hear about all the old MK Ultra experiments where they would pin their eyes open and they would force them to see horrible things. And I was so afraid that if I stayed asleep much longer, they were going to start showing me other things. Now, that experience was really bizarre for me because that's where I kind of came up with the language of, are they hacking our visual cortex? Do they have control over our visual cortex? And 
another thing that was so perplexing to me about that particular experience was it was like a screensaver. And so I was like, it, it was almost like, if you're thinking in terms of matrix or simulation or AI or transhumanism, it was almost like, are they like downloading a software? Cause, cause it was, it was a screensaver. It, that was one of the most perplexing sleep paralysis experiences ever. And when I woke up, um, when I woke up, I can't explain this because I, like I said, I had a sleep mask on. So the, the room should have been pitch black. But when I woke up, it was like the whole room was flooded with light. But then when I woke up, woke up, it went pitch black instantly, like someone had shut the lights out. So I quick whipped the sleep mask off of me because we have a floodlight outside my window up at the cabin that's motion detecting. And it, it'll turn off and on if there's like an animal running outside or something, you know, or a deer runs by or something. And so when, when, the, when the whole room was lit up, I whipped my sleep mask off to just prove to myself that it was the floodlight. And I was awake at this point and the floodlight was not on. And as soon as my brain registered that the floodlight wasn't on it, the whole room went black again. And so the only thing in my ignorance that I can make out of that whole experience is they had control over my brain or my mind or my visual cortex or my perception of reality for those moments. It's far too simple of an explanation to just say, I wake up in my room and there's something in my room. I'm not even sure if we're in our room when this stuff's happening. I mean, that connects into kind of what I was saying about almost like downloading back into your like physical vessel and that could be like the load screen. And then what you were saying before that, where you were seeing like through the mask, um, when people have psychedelic experiences, they talk about this whole thing about where you're like seeing, but you're not really seeing with your eyes that you can like cover up your eyes and get like a 360 view of the room. But it's almost like it's like mental. It's almost like for lack of a better term, like seeing like through your third eye. So when you have yes. like these experiences and I wonder if that's part of the reason why you're able to see like shadow people, um, the old hag, like these different beings is because you're not looking through your, your eyes necessarily. You're almost like looking through your third eye. So yes, you're perceiving this reality, but you're perceiving it from a different layer where you're able to see these things. And maybe the reason why they're kind of standing around is because they're almost trying to figure you out because they're maybe kind of confused on why you can see them in the first place because they could be partly manipulating what you're seeing. And once you hit this certain state of like when you're hitting sleep paralysis and you're almost like starting to wake up, it's kind of like they're like, uh oh, moment where they realize that like, they're what they're doing is like wearing off and you're starting to like not they can't they can't mess with your seeing through your third eye like they, they can only do it with your like your normal vision so once you're able to start getting to that point where you see through this different method of being able to see they kind of just are like all right this is the end of what we're doing for today and they kind of will just like back off real quick <laughs> and that's yeah, maybe why they're in the corners of the room is because they're kind of backing off seeing if you're going to go back in or if you're going to come back out and then if they come back out you're they're gone <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So interestingly, with the pineal gland, because I do think that that's key in all of this, uh, Helena Blavatsky, uh, a, a famous Russian occultist and 
uh, she wrote about the cyclopean eye, which was her way of saying it, it basically was the, the pineal gland. But what's interesting, and this is kind of where we have an erroneous definition of cyclo- cyclops. We think when we think of cyclops, we think of, uh, you know, the the Greek Titan with the one, big one eyeball, right? Because we think of cyclo- cyclops as one eye. But cyclopean actually means one eye in addition to the two. It's the third eye. So uh, this cyclopean eye gets activated when there's pharmacia or ritual or occult or, or demonic things happening. And um, so I wanted to just say that thing about the cyclopean eye because I, I do think that a vast majority, if not the whole of a sleep paralysis experience, I think everything that we're, we're seeing is through that activated pineal gland. And that's not to say everybody, there's a lot of people out there who are working very hard to open up their pineal gland, but there, there are other people that it's, it's open and it wasn't anything that they, you know, actively were pursuing on their own, but it can be open through trauma. It can be open through abuse. It can be open through, you know, uh, mind control. There, there's ways to, to open it up for other people, but uh, so yeah, with the cyclopean eye, that that doesn't mean one eye. That actually is the pineal gland. It's one eye in addition to the two. I mean, connecting with all that too, that could be where the whole idea of like calcifying like the pineal gland kind of comes from, is because maybe these beings are still able to interact with you, but if you calcify it, then it makes it so that you're not able to be like aware of things that are being interacted with it. It almost like blocks your brain and your perception from what's actually going on with it. So then rather than you being able to connect into like the spiritual world and actually understand it, it's more so that they're able to just kind of crack in and manipulate it whenever they feel the need to. And then any other time, like you're not able to access it. So you're not able to really do any kind of research or get any kind of like background on who they are, what they are um, other than when they choose to give you access to it. Because, I mean, theoretically, they could even have something that temporarily, you know, uncalcifies your pineal gland just for them to be able to do these things. Then they might even have something that can instantly, like, recalcify it if you're coming into it from, like, an extraterrestrial perspective. I mean, even from, like, a spiritual perspective. I mean, it it could be, like, a technology if there's, like, aliens or extraterrestrials doing this stuff. But it might be more of, like, some type of, like, a, like, spiritual thing or some type of, like like spell or something, you know, where it, it, it does this to it so that you, you're not able to perceive through it, but they're still able to use and, pers- and manipulate you through it. Yeah, absolutely. I do think that the information that we get online about the pineal gland is, uh, so I think we're kind of being trolled and, and I'll tell you why I think that, uh, the, the narrative out there is that if we want to become, higher dimensional beings or we want to ascend or we want to become, you know, higher vibrational that we have to decalcify that pineal gland and open it. Right. But what I think has actually happened is I think that originally in the garden, Adam and Eve's pineal gland was open and that's why they could see God and why they walked with him. When they fell, they were no longer able to see him. He became invisible. I think at that point, the pineal gland was calcified and it was calcified for a reason. We were cut off from the spirit realm for, for a reason. And what I think is happening is when people are prematurely opening their pineal gland, now they are able to see back into the spirit realm. 
unfortunately they're seeing into the, to the realm of the fallen spirit realm not not the realm of the you know god's throne room so to speak and so i think that's sort of like the half truth i do think that if you decalcify your pineal gland you will see into the spirit realm but i do not think that you're going to be seeing i, I think you're going to be seeing into the fallen spirit spirit realm that's kind of the rub that's i think that's what they're not telling us i mean that can be intentional too because that brings the fear state in with it so, you know, if it unlocks at the time that it's supposed to, then you're seeing the lighter side of things and you're seeing what the things you're intended to see at the time you're intended to see them. But if you unlock it too soon, then it's almost like corrupting a soul early because then it's seeing things that it's not intended to see or that it may not be able to understand at the time of seeing it. So rather than taking it in for what it is, uh, you're instantly af afraid of it. Like, I mean, even, even if you're going into like the biblical perspective of it, you think about like what the biblical interpretation of an angel is with like the wings and the eyes and like the spinning different pieces. And if you weren't coming from a background where you understood that that's an angel from seeing it, then that could instantly bring in a fear state where there could be something positive in front of you, but you're scared of it because you don't understand what it is. And then in turn, these dark forces are able to manipulate that and make it so that you could even theoretically be scared of like these angelic beings. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we see that all the time in scripture. A lot of times when the angelic beings were coming to bear good tidings or whatever, uh, the most common phrase that comes out of an angelic being is, fear not or do not be afraid right and and it also what you're telling me makes me think of there is a verse in um the new testament that says for now we see through a glass darkly and and it goes on to explain that we don't fully see things now but when when the messiah returns and we're put into our resurrected bodies we will see fully we will see everything and i do think that that has something to do with the pineal gland and uh, unfortunately the pineal gland is so associated in everyone's mind with new age or occult practices that anytime you start talking about the pineal gland around uh, a, a traditional Christian audience, they get very triggered because that that's something that could only serve a new age or an occult purpose. But what I'm telling you is God made that part of the body and it will one day facilitate in our being able to see his glory. It's just now isn't the right time for it. And and I think that that's the danger of opening the pineal gland. It's not that it can't be opened, or at one point it shouldn't be opened. It, it's a matter of we're opening it prematurely. And I mean, that kind of goes into the whole aspect of the occult as far as like going against like the will of God is that if opening up your pineal gland is part of the occult, it's going against like the wishes theoretically of God if he is trying to keep you away from seeing these things at a certain time. So it's again, opening up a whole other can of worms where it's like, you're, you're doing things that you're not intended to do. And that's kind of like where reality and society is kind of becoming now is that we're getting to a point where it's not even just like specifically about this, but there's like a lot of things that it's being hidden behind being okayed by culture. But realistically it goes against all of these like, moral views of reality, whether you're coming at it from like a religious perspective or you're coming at it from just like a, like a natural real world perspective. Like a lot of these dark agendas are being hidden within normalization through culture. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And we're even seeing that now with there's this, uh, this trend now amongst uh, kids younger than m myself in the old days, when you talked about lucid dreaming and astral projection, 
uh, it was this going into the astral realm to seek out your spirit guide and um, things like that. And now I'm talking about embedding things in culture. Now they call it reality shifting or shifting. It's, it's the same thing as, as lucid dreaming, but you know, the younger generations get cooler words than we got. Right. So <laughs> they're, they're, they're shifting. I'm like, Oh man. Okay. But uh, it, it's uh, culturally, it's no longer viewed as something scary or dangerous. It's now it's, you know, um, augmented reality. It's the metaverse. It's all scientific. It's tech. It's it's quantum. And so mm-hmm. it's not evil. It's not spiritual. It, it and they're they're repackaging. There's nothing new under the sun. They're repackaging necromancy into uh, less frightening terminology so it's now appealing to the younger people who aren't necessarily going to equate these experiences with the ancient uh understandings of what and where they are i mean connecting with all that too it's like they're trying to push everybody away from like the physical world and they want to connect everybody into like a like a self-created world and in turn by doing that it's making it so that uh like people are just they're disconnected from like logical thinking on top of that and in turn again it just makes it so it's easier to manipulate the thought process of all these people and hide all of these like weird occultic practices within things that are normalized because i mean even when you get into like the whole necromancy thing possibly being connected in with AI. You'd hear about these concepts where they're talking about essentially being able to take a consciousness and put it into like a digital reality. And as far as I'm concerned, there's two different aspects that could come of that. Either one, that consciousness isn't actually that person's consciousness. It's purely a copy of their consciousness. And it's just something that makes you feel better. It's like it's a placebo effect, but it's not really them and it's never going to be them. Or two, if they're actually able to trap consciousness into this virtual reality, um, then you're never going to actually see what's on the other side. So in turn, it's making it so that people are would rather take the jump of knowing where they're going to go. They're going to be in this digital reality that's controlled by whoever the people choosing to control it is at the time, rather than take the leap and see what it might actually be on the other side. So again, it might even be this whole concept of if you start getting into like dark principles of almost like harvesting souls, if it is theoretically possible to actually take a consciousness and put it into a digital reality. And it isn't just a copy. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. This, um, this whole reality shifting thing and augmented reality and it's, 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 it's really getting pushed on us now. And uh, there's actually um, a facility now in, in the state of Colorado that is, they're doing like a, a slow, like slow drip. I, I don't know if it's ayahuasca or, or what it is, but you can actually go in and have a ayahuasca trip that will last, depending on, you know, what you can afford, it can last hours or it can last weeks. Like they have a program where you could like, you literally sit there in their little, you know, glorified dentist chair and check out a reality for an entire week where they they slow drip this stuff into your system and you have an ayahuasca trip for seven days. And what's crazy about that is there are a lot of people that come out of, you know, a 10-minute ayahuasca trip and they experienced an entire like 60-year lifetime in that reality. 
you know, they'll talk about, I had a wife and a kids and I, I did this and that. And now they almost have this identity crisis in, in the real world because they have this memory now of this whole other life that they lived during this, this trip. Right. So if that can happen in 10 minutes, what's going to happen in, in seven days. And the thing that I think is interesting about ayahuasca, virtual reality, reality shifting, and even gaming to those that are the, the real gaming addicts is beyond even just talking about the addictive qualities of these things and the, the hallucinatory properties of these things. All of these things have, we've all heard the stories about how all of these things can lead someone to madness. It can lead to mental illness and it can lead to insanity. Uh, there are many stories out there. They don't advertise them because, you know, no one likes to put, no, nobody puts in the, in the cruise brochures that people occasionally fall overboard and drown, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so we, we can't put that in the ayahuasca trip, you know, brochures, but uh, we always, we hear the stories of the people that come back and talk about the wonderful, wonderful, enlightening experience they had. You check in with them five years later and see where they're at. And some of them did not fare well with that experience. And, uh, there's experiences with people that got so into the gaming that they kind of could never come back to reality. And uh, this reality shifting, what's really interesting about the reality shifting is um, I've heard a lot of, um, you know, Gen Y, Gen Zers that will, will go on TikTok and stuff and they'll talk about the experience. Many of them will warn people, hey, if you want to try this, you have to really know what you're doing. You have to be careful. You can't do it too much. And they will all kind of put the warning label on that if you don't know what you're doing, you can, it'll lead to a mental illness. And we even hear this with um, a lot of the astral projecting experiences and the even the sleep paralysis experiences because this is a, I don't even like the word virtual reality because I don't think it is fake it's just it's just a, it's a reality we don't understand but it exists and and i think a lot of the virtual reality that we're seeing like in the gaming world and with the with the goggles and all that i think that that's just they're just grooming us for the world to come right they're getting us accustomed to what that looks and feels like and i i think it's it's a education program so all all of this stuff what it, what it says to me is most of humanity is looking for some sort of a spiritual connection. We, we want some sort of connection with the higher power or with the spirit realm. And, and yet the ways that we are going about making those connections, in many cases, people are having like an initial spiritual experience, but once they get deep into it, uh, they're they're realizing that they they sort of are too far down the trail now to kind of turn back, and so I guess what I'm saying is the I mean it, it's like anything in life, like even like when you when you hear people talking about like drug addictions, like oh the first time I did heroin, it was the most you know amazing experience I've ever had in my whole life, and yet every hit after that was an attempt to recreate that first high, and they can't do it. And what I'm telling you about this spiritual stuff and this reality shifting and the 
traveling around in other dimensional planes and talking with other entities and spirit guides, uh, they're always going to give you that first hit free. You're going to come back with your orgasmic experience of light and love and peace and joy. And eventually, depending upon what sort of a purpose you serve for them, eventually that high is going to wear off and it, it's going to, it's going to be the same. It, it's going to be the same as any other addiction. You know, you keep going, going and going to recreate that first experience and it's never going to be the same as that first experience. And then at that point you are in bondage to all of the, of the negative consequences that come along with it, that they never put in the brochure. Right. I mean, when it comes to a lot of this stuff too, if it's a matter of almost like these dark forces trying to disassociate us from like the physical reality, um, of course, like most things are going to come off at first as like, Oh, this is nice. This is peaceful. This is this where a lot of these like experiences that people are having could be beings on the other side that are almost like manipulating them where they're coming into it and thinking that it's like a spiritual teacher or it's this or it's that, but actually it's just a dark entity that's hiding itself behind a, a good facade facade until you make some type of like contract with it. And then after that, then it might actually start showing it's like true presence. And especially when you start getting into like drugs in particular, um, you know, like heroin, meth, like all these like darker drugs, uh, the people that are on them always talk about these like dark demonic like experiences, but they don't start off that way. They start off as like, particularly meth that people will say like, Oh, the first time it was so great. Like I just had all this energy. I want to do all this. I want to do all that. And then it quickly turns into like people saying that like demons are talking to them, things like, like once they get attached to it and they're addicted to it, then it instantly gets dark where there'll be these dark forces telling them to do things. And uh, I even had somebody that it was uh, like a a friend's parents uh, that had this experience where essentially he was, Um, like a a regular meth user and he had these like demonic voices that were telling him to hurt his significant other with a hammer and in turn he ended up doing it and it just so much can be manipulated through just taking somebody in pretending like everything's dark is nice and calm and then as soon as everything hits the fan then that's when they take the opportunity to jump and same with like this virtual reality thing it could be the same thing that everybody's kind of just dipping their toe they're making it seem like all this like light happy like oh we're just having fun we're playing video games and then once everybody's all okay with it it's normalized then you put on those helmets theoretically for like you know the final time before these like dark forces are actually able to fully take control of you and then you're never able to leave that reality ever again and i mean even if it is theoretically like humans that are controlling this type of prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed subscription required individual results may vary additional restrictions apply at lifemd.com read all warnings before using glp1s side effects may include a risk of thyroid c cell tumors do not use glp1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. 
And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Stuff. If there's somebody that has like a dark agenda or they're these elites or whatever, then once you're in that system... And if they make the system so good that you almost can't differentiate that system from real life, then they could even pretend like they're the gods. And if you're in a virtual reality, you fully control, you could make a giant God manifest in the sky and everybody's looking up at this thing thinking that this is this reality, but it's actually another layer of reality that somebody else has full control over. And I mean, even that being said, I mean, we could already have had this happen multiple times throughout human existence and we're not where at all. <laughs> like even if yeah. like the universe was created by like a universal consciousness or like God or whatever you want to call it, um, there could still have been these multiple factors that have happened throughout time where we're almost like trapped in a layer and a layer and a layer and a layer where there is like a physical reality, but there's all these layers of organic uh, simulation on top of it almost. Cause I mean, we're, we're essentially building that ourselves. So anybody that doesn't even want to like throw in the whole idea of an organic simulation. Like we're, we're literally creating it in front of our eyes and we don't even like want to look at it for what it is. Like technology moves so fast. It's only a matter of 10 years from now when people can't differentiate virtual reality from real life anymore. And they start incorporating like physical touch within it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That we've only begun to explore that, that technology and, you know, kind of you know, on the heels too, of what you were saying the this whole, the, the entities that, that run these other dimensions, they're recruiters, for lack of a better word. And so it's, it's a recruitment program. And so what I want to speak to is for the listeners who are saying, well, I've been astral projecting for 20 years and I've never seen any of this stuff. And so I want to just make it clear that these are recruiters. And so look at it in terms of when, when we go out and we recruit, recruit young people for the military. So we go to all the high schools and we try to get people to sign up for the army when they graduate. A recruiter, there are certain people that they want signed up and there's certain people where they're like, we don't want you even if you sign up, right? Like there's there are people that are going to be great soldiers. They're in physical shape. They're, you know, they're 
susceptible to all the training. They're going to be, oh, you know, submissive. And, you know, there's a certain, there's a certain thing that they're looking for in order to, to keep their, their military running. Correct. So what I'm, what I'm trying to explain is that for everybody out there who's saying like, I'm going to try this, I'm going to reality shift, or I'm going to go into the astral realm. If you're of no value to them, if you're useless, if you don't have any sort of gifts or you don't have anything to contribute to the program, they're going to get rid of you really quickly. So you're going to start experiencing the negative side effects right away because they basically are rejecting you like you're fired, right? So there are some people that get into this and they immediately quit. They get too scared. Uh, they, they start seeing the manifestations or the paranormal activity and they're like, I'm out of here. For those that have been in this realm of new age practices or astral realm or talking to spirit guides, they've been in it 10 or 20 years and they've got podcasts and they're clairvoyant and they've got all these gifts. They're not necessarily going to be getting this sort of uh, a retaliation from the spirit realm because they're of value to the spirit realm. The spirit realm needs salespeople here on earth. They need people to do the bidding. They need other recruiters. And so if you're of value to them, they're not going to scare you off. They're not going to run you off. Now, with that said, I have heard lots of people who've come out of the new age saying that even though I was in it and I believed all of it and there was all of these benefits to it, yeah, I was having sleep paralysis the whole time or yeah, I was having paranormal activity in my home. So a lot of them don't want to talk about that aspect, but a lot of them are experiencing it. And so if there's anybody out there who has only had the glamorized version of this advertised to them, you have to understand that there's a whole other layer uh, of this. And there's a lot of negative side effects that come, come with this as well. Not to mention just the basic thing, Shane. Anytime someone's had sleep paralysis or anything, they'll tell you that they are in a state of anxiety, paranoia, and exhaustion for 24 hours, 72 hours, the next week. Like when you have even the smallest uh, experience in the astral realm, you will be exhausted the next day. You'll feel beat up. And so it's not like this great thing, um, like, oh, this is so much fun. And it's just like having the best dream in the world. And so I, I, I kind of feel like a lot of the negative stuff is downplayed. And there's there are a lot of people out there who have done this for so long and say that they haven't had any of the negative consequences, to which I would say, you haven't probably had any of the negative consequences because you are of some value to these things. And you will be kept in the club as long as you provide that value. But as soon as you're gifts or your purpose or your your value in their eyes uh, dries up, uh, chances are at that point you're going to experience the, the negative side effects of all this. I'm also kind of curious too if there are positive things that are theoretically able to access you through these dimensions also or if it's intentionally something that's only almost like a like a like a backdoor entry for these like dark forces because uh, like the very last time, that I had a sleep paralysis moment, which was right before my son was born. So it was probably like, I don't know, about a year and a half, two years ago, roughly somewhere in that area. But, uh, the last one I had, I, 
it starts off as kind of a sad story and ends on a positive one. For all my listeners that have heard this before, I apologize for restating this again. But for the sake of conversation and the new listeners, I'll, I'll repeat some of it in a time-lapse version. But um, essentially, uh, my fian- my girlfriend and I at the time were trying to have another kid. Um, we ended up having... There was no heartbeat after eight weeks, so we ended up. She, she it wasn't having. She wasn't miscarrying it, so it was just this whole thing where she ended up having to go to the hospital for it. And anyways, so I ended up having a dream in the middle of this where I went to this place, and it was almost like this. Best way to describe it, almost like a nebula in the, like the middle of space, and it was like this purple color, and I wasn't really like standing in it or sitting. I was just kind of existing within it, and I saw this kid that looked like me but he was probably around like five or six. And he said something along the lines of that wasn't a good vessel. I'll see you on the next one. And a week or two later, uh, cause we were still trying at this point again, after, you know, everything went down with the hospital and everything, uh, I figured out that she was pregnant again. And then a little bit later I figured out it was a son and now he's going to be two in this December. So I'm waiting until he's five. And I still try to remember this image of this kid in my head every single day. Um, so that, you know, when he gets to that age, I can kind of connect it and see if it was, if it is the same, same person or whatever. But right after that experience, when I woke back up, I had sleep paralysis directly after. And for a while, for me, at least, um, I kind of connected like sleep paralysis with like astral traveling. And I assumed that pretty much anytime I like went somewhere, I would get like sleep paralysis. So just off of me getting sleep paralysis from this, I didn't think it was a dream. I think I like physically went somewhere, but it wasn't necessarily like a negative experience. It seemed like it was more of like a positive experience. But I mean, of course that can always be manipulated too um, with the aspect of like what you were saying, if they still see that there's something positive to it. But I also, I'm kind of curious if there is still times where through these, through these entry points of like, when your spiritual, when your spiritual self almost like is able to leave your, your vessel, if uh, there are still some like positive forces that are able to like interject in between and still possibly do some like positive while you're in this state. Yeah. Yeah. This is where it gets really complex because uh, we know that even encounters with God and his angels, it can still be terrifying to a human being. And we know that the the devil could disguise himself as an angel of light. And we know that sometimes evil entities appear to us as friends because that, you know, it, it's, it's the little red riding hood, you know, it's the wolf dressed up like grandma, you know, obviously, but where I think that it's possible, we, we have to consider this. I think this is the best example. Daniel in, in the Old Testament, Daniel received a series of visions about the end times. So they were scary visions. They were about the end of the world. And they were scary to him. And when it, the Bible is very descriptive that after Daniel would have these visions, he would be physically ill and he would be sick for days. And he he struggled. Um, if, you, if you read the book of Daniel, it it's very clear that he was distraught over these visions, not only because they portrayed the end of the world, which in his mind, he might've thought was right around the corner. He wasn't given a time, like he didn't know. Uh, But not only were the visions distressing, but he was perplexed. He didn't know what they meant. And so there was a confusion element with it too. Um, And that's that's the thing that is so perplexing about a lot of these Heavenly visions is kind of like you, you know, you're waiting till he's five. Uh, And this is where I'm always leery of Christians and religious people who have a prophetic dream 
And the second they wake up, they know exactly what the interpretation is and what it means. And I'm like, well, you're smarter than any of the prophets because uh, Peter talks about it. John talks about it. Daniel talked about it. They would wake up from these dreams and they would be perplexed. They would have visions. Peter had the vision of the sheet and and he was arguing with God because he didn't understand it. And he's like, well, I, I'm not going to eat these unclean animals. Well, that's not what it was about. And God had to send someone from another city to come and knock on Peter's door and explain the vision to him. And so I'm always leery of people that have prophetic dreams and they're not perplexed. They're not scared. They're not, they're not distraught in any way. They, they always think it's the greatest thing in the world and they instantly know exactly what it means. And Furthermore, it's usually something extremely lucrative or prosperous or flattering to them. <laughs> so it, it, it really goes against the biblical model. Um, the prophets in the Bible, uh, they were all put to death by their own people because the people hated the messages that they were giving. And so I think we've really, really um, become separated from the biblical description of these prophetic visions and dreams that people have had. Uh, I think that we've kind of turned it into this fun, um, powerful, like I've got this gift. And um, I think that when we are handed a message from a spiritual realm, and especially if we're being handed a message from something holier than we are, there's going to be a whole lot of human emotion wrapped up in that. And uh, so I, I tend to think that when when we have a vision that is heavenly or is of God, that it it probably won't look the way we think it's going to look. And so the fact that you are perplexed over it and you're waiting several years to test out your theory, that seems more valid to me than these because. The average person, because I've heard these stories before, Shane, the average person will say, I had this dream. And so I know it, it was, you know, my son talking to me from the future. And he was saying to just wait. And, and they talk about it like it's absolute fact. And, and this is like moments after they woke up. So uh, the fact that you are giving this time and you're testing the spirit to see whether it is uh, true, because th this is the, the litmus test for uh, a true prophecy is it's going to come true. And where that gets complicated and where I, where I'm glad we're talking about various timelines and parallel universes is uh, this always perplexed me, Shane. It says in scripture that if a prophet prophesies something and it doesn't come true, you put him to death because he's a false prophet. But what about these people that made prophecies about the coming of Christ 400 years before he came? Nobody saw that prophecy come true. So why wasn't that prophet murdered? How did they know that that was a real prophecy, even though no one ever saw it come? So these are some of the things that we as human beings have to realize that whether they are good entities or evil entities, they are so beyond our knowledge and we are playing with fire on whether you're dealing with a good guy or a bad guy, we're playing with fire. And the way I try to explain it to people is it's not that humanity is stupid. It's not that we're dumb. We have high levels of intelligence. We've figured a lot out down here. We're, we're civilized. I, I don't think we're these deplorable eaters that are, are wasting air, right? 
but we are looking at the entirety of human knowledge like it is a like a mirror like it's a flat piece of glass whereas these entities in the spirit realm they have the whole three-dimensional diamond so they can take their flat piece of glass and turn it at any angle and it's this three-dimensional thing whereas we we're only looking at that one facet so it's not that we're stupid or we're foolish it's that they they have a three-dimensional version and we have a one-dimensional version and so I just think that we have to tread so lightly into these realms because so much of it is guesswork. So much of it is theorizing and trying to put the pieces together. And uh, we're getting more and more of the pieces as time goes on, because as time goes on, knowledge increases and more pieces get put together. But um, I'm probably going to be blowing a little bit, but like at the end of this, when you're going to, you know, ask me to, to, you know, give, give a word of wisdom or encouragement to your listeners. I'm going to put this on the back burner and we're going to talk about it a little bit more at the end. But one thing that new agers and Christians are both terrible at, and it gets them both into loads and loads of deception and trouble is we are supposed to test every spirit that we encounter. And I don't know too many people that ever take two seconds to test what they've just encountered to determine whether or not it's a liar or it's the truth. I mean, everybody just makes an assumption depending on like what, what they're doing. So, I mean, like somebody's doing like psychedelics, for example, then it's the DMT entities. Like they already have it categorized and they're already saying what it is rather than looking at altered mind states as being more so like a doorway. They think it like is directly tied to like one specific thing. And I mean, kind of connecting to what you were saying with, uh, just people not necessarily like taking things in. Right. Um, at least from like a lot of the people that I've talked to recently, as far as like the show goes, just friends, everybody's been talking about these dreams where it almost seems like they're for lack of better terms, like end time dreams, but they're all coming in from different perspectives and being like humans, like we all may be taking in the same message, but our brains might be taking them in differently and making sense of them to us in different ways. And especially when you get into like the dream stuff, things aren't as like literal as people may take things. Like you may see a bear in a dream and it might mean that you feel bear in your real life. Like it's not exactly as people perceive it. So like what perfect example here is that I've talked to somebody recently that uh, was having these like UFO, like attack dreams, like attacking, like, like reality and they have these th- this thing where they say like half the people are interacting and the other and like freaking out and then the other half are just going about their business and i've heard in other dreams where there's like uh like wars happening and there's people that are like half the people are doing things half the people aren't and i've even had a dream and i like i was saying in the beginning i don't typically remember my dreams but when i do they're always like these really really weird dreams and one of the ones that i remember was i was hanging out in this uh it was basically like almost like a strip mall with like the center area where there was like seating and tables and stuff. And I was sitting at those tables and then all of a sudden I started seeing all of these people rush in and they're all wearing these like black like costumes. They almost kind of look like the, like, uh, like the costumes that like native American dancers be wearing, like while they're dancing around the fire, but they're all like black and like dark. 
and all these people like rush in and nobody else is reacting. And I'm sitting there watching this, like nobody else is reacting and they all like group up in the center and then they all just start running out at everybody and nobody's reacting. And it seems like the center points that I'm getting between all of these connecting things is that you're looking at them at literal and none of these dreams connect. But if you really like break it down and start kind of looking at it from like a broader perspective lens, you start seeing that there's a connection between something being like the end of times, uh, half the people being awake to it and the other half not being awake. And this image of almost like beings wearing different masks, like they're aliens in one, uh, they're soldiers in another in mine. They were literal things wearing these like dark masks. Like you got to bring it back from a broader perspective that, you know, we're, we're all maybe interpreting the same thing from the same place, but it, isn't coming in the same and those could either be stuff that's being thrown in from dark beings to instill fear and making it so that people are scared that there's something coming soon and they're almost like taking advantage of like the spiritual type people to bring in this era of fear or it could be a positive message that it's almost like a warning that something's coming so everybody needs to prepare because half of you are going to be awake and the other half are not and the ones that are awake are the ones that are going to have to interact and do something about it because the ones that are asleep are going to remain asleep and have these things running around them and doing things around them and not even being aware that their reality is being destroyed and manipulated by these dark forces that are existing around them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the signs of the end times as listed in scripture is that um, people will dream dreams. And obviously meaning dreams of a prophetic end time nature because men have always dreamed dreams, right? But uh, so what's interesting to me is the, like you said, all these people having these end time dreams, but you brought up such a good point. We we interpret everything through our own lenses, our own worldview, our own understanding of things. And so I have had many people come to me with their end times dreams and they see out of it absolute proof that there's like a pre-trib rapture. But then I've had just as many people who are also very godly, well-read, biblical, authentic believers that have the same types of dreams and they read their eschatology into it. So it's not that one person's lying. We know that God's not sending contradictory messages. And so um, our, our, we're having all these dreams, but they're only to the value that we can interpret them. And uh, when we, when we apply to dream interpretation, the same sort of cognitive skills that we're applying to everything else where there is no truth in what it means to you, it means to you, and what it means to me, it means to me. But if we're actually trying to glean some sort of prophetic understanding out of these dreams, that the dreams have to actually mean something. It, it can't just be open to our own interpretation. And so that's where I think things are kind of running amok in our generation uh, we are we're becoming so far removed from the skill set that was required to interpret the scriptures and interpret the prophecies. Um, you know, I, I'm fascinated by the fact that the Magi were every day they were looking to the sky for a particular constellation to line up, and as soon as it lined up and they saw that star, they knew the prophecy of the Messiah had come true, and they started looking for him. And we have lost that. And there, 
there is probably, not probably, if that information hadn't been lost, if that knowledge hadn't been lost, we would be able to look at the sky and we would be able to interpret prophetic signs of the redemptive coming and of the end times, et cetera, et cetera. Because it ha we learn in Genesis 1 that the sun and the moon and the stars were put into the sky to mark Moedim, which is the Hebrew word for seasons. Um, and so we, we know from other books, um, I think if you read in the book of Jasher, the ancient book of Jasher, it's kind of, it's the director's cut of Genesis and part of Exodus. So it's, it's the same as our book of Genesis, but there's tons of gaps filled in. And it talks about the Maseroth in there. It, it talks about the, the map of the stars that Joseph and Benjamin read. And it, it gave them information uh, that, that they needed. There, there, there was a way to read that information. And so now we've lost our map. We don't know how to read the stars anymore. And the, the, you know, the occult and the New Age have taken it over. It's turned into astrology. It's turned into a way of predicting our own future. And, and so we've lost that knowledge. We've lost our map. And yet we're, all of these prophetic things are unraveling in our lifetime. And we're having all of these dreams. And we have no key or map by which we can interpret it. And so for it, as advanced and civilized and technological as our generation has become, we're kind of like a sailboat just spinning around in circles and all of our navigational devices have been busted. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we know we have a destination and we can see, you know, the signs in the heaven that things are happening, but we don't, we've lost the navigational devices. And that's where these astral entities become so detrimental because they come saying, we, we have those, we have those navigational devices. We'll show you, but their navigational devices are not going to steer us toward the, the, the end result of a Messiah coming back and setting up his kingdom. Their navigational devices, their, their king is going to get the throne in, in their, at the end of their fairy tale. So that's why it's, it's so important to test and discern these spirits and to have a gift of distinguishing spirits. I mean, you see that with just the new generation in general, that there's this like separation from there being like a God or a universal consciousness. It all is this, this thing where it's like, uh, like you are the God, but realistically, if you like break it down to its key components, it doesn't make sense that something would be able to create itself. Like that's almost like a, like a paradox all in itself. So whether you believe it from like, you know, we were seated here from extraterrestrials or there's a universal consciousness or there's a specific God, like there has to have been something that's created us. So I feel like in order to usher in this new view of things or these new dark beings that again, I kind of feel like it's uh, all these things are viewed from specific lenses, but it goes above any specific like religion, but just for the sake of conversation and people kind of knowing what I'm referring to, I'm just going to kind of look at it from like the Christian perspective here. But um, like when you, when you separate everybody from, from the one single universal consciousness or God, then you have everybody believe that they're their own God. So then everybody becomes lost. They get misconstrued. They start losing connections into that old method of thinking. They start losing pieces of knowledge that we already had 
because they disconnect and they don't associate with the old view of things. So then in turn, something can finally come and say, all right, like I, I am the thing that created all of you, or, you know, you guys are me and they can start coming at it from this angle. And it could be this whole form of manipulation through these like demonic beings, or even just like Lucifer theoretically in general, or whatever the, like the main counterpart of the universal consciousness or like God is could easily come and give this like false message of hope. And in turn, because everybody's so confused and they don't know what to believe anymore. Um, it, restarts the system so that something else can essentially be able to like take control over the system at that point. And once you're a couple generations removed, people forget that the old thing even existed. So it's like, then at that point, it would almost be a flip where the average new age person would start seeing this like demonic luciferic like character as God and start demonizing the actual God itself. But if they're just looking at it from that one lens and they'd never had the other viewer perspective, then they're not going to know any different. Like it's going to be fringe to think of like the universal creator or God, whatever as the positive one, because generations have been brought into the evil ones, actually the good one. It's just this flip flop. And even in society in general, like you can see where there's key components of this kind of piece together where there's not really good or bad anymore. Everything's like a gray area you see in like TV shows. They try to like, humanize like the bad character like the bad guy in movies is actually like the main character and like the good guy like they're trying to blur the lines on what's good and bad so that maybe even a couple generations later uh when things have been kind of removed they could even take back the same biblical stories but spin it with a different narrative and still have the key components there but make it look like the bad guy is the good guy and then vice versa because, I mean, you, you try to break down the scripture and as messed up as it is, I mean, that could easily be flipped with the generation that doesn't know any better because they could be taking parts of like the old the Old Testament and be looking at it as like this this person that you see as God is coming down and he's smiting these people and he's taking out these villages and he's telling Adam and Eve that they can't live in his garden and he's the bad guy. And this other guy, he just came in and he just tried to give him knowledge and let him know that they were being... Uh, manipulated by this one guy and he didn't do anything bad. He was trying to bestow knowledge on him, but because this guy was trying to help you, uh, he now, you know, the, the, the bad guy has thrown you out of his area and says, you can't live here anymore. Like it's really easy to like spin the perspective on like what's happening to make it flip flop. Once you've removed a generation a couple times. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, uh, DC and Marvel are doing a wonderful job of preaching the watcher gospel and and doing exactly what you're what you're saying these these superheroes as we call them if you actually do the etymology of where we get our word hero and Derek Gilbert is the one that did the original research on this if you take our English word hero and you go all the way back etymologically to discover what that word originally was it was the titans which in greek lore the titans were the watchers they were the, the original angels that came down from another planet with the superpower, right? And to help mankind, like the good watchers before they, before the watchers fell, not all of them fell, uh, the watchers were a liaison between the earthly and the spiritual realm. And they were here to help and assist mankind. And the 200 that went rogue, you know, um, had a different plan. But the, the watchers or the titans or the heroes or the superheroes that is what our comics are. It is the the Watchers gospel. We have come down to help mankind. We are your progenitors. We're here to rescue you from the big evil bad guy. 
And uh, what they haven't told you yet, but they will unfurl it when the time is right, is the the gotcha uh, moment they, that that we're the, the the big reveal we're going to have one day is that the bad guy that all these superheroes are saving us from that the the Lex Luthor is is Jesus Christ, the Lex Luthor is God. Uh, they want to keep you. It's the same lie as the serpent in the garden. He doesn't want to share his glory and power with you. You can be as a God. And it's the same temptation that Satan gave Jesus in the wilderness. Um, all these, these nations I will give to you. You yourself will rule it. And people are always like, well, that's dumb. How could Satan give Jesus something that already belonged to Jesus? But what he was saying was, Jesus, if you bow down and worship me, I will give you the power to rule planet Earth. You yourself, not God the Father. You don't need that guy. You can be. He was. He was offering Jesus the same thing. Mm-hmm. You can be God. You can be number one. And so, what's faulty about this new golden age beast system that they're trying to push on us, where we can all become as a God, unless there is a redemptive piece to that. What? What do you have if a whole bunch of fallen people all believe that they're God? You've got the same thing as the Greek mythology where all the gods were killing each other and dethroning each other and and usurping each other's power. And so their, their method of redemption is saying that you will become a higher vibrational being. You'll, you'll, you'll raise above all of the corruptness of your flesh. But what's scary is we have to do that on our own because that's what Christ consciousness and ascension is, that we meditate and we do all these things and we somehow will garnish within ourselves the ability to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and figure out how to be these selfless, loving, light beings who will use our power to only help other people. But the fact of the matter is... um, I've been trying for 50 years to become a better person and I struggle every day. So I don't, if it, if it's, if the onus is on me to all of a sudden become uh, a God without my flesh, having undergone any sort of supernatural change, all we're going to have is a planet full of demigods, all vying for the ultimate power. I, I don't understand how, we're all going to find the power within ourselves to overcome our natures and become humble, selfless, giving, loving light beings that once were handed scepters of power and given crowns and, and thrones of godhood, we're not ever going to misuse that, that power. So there's an entire um, redemptive peace missing. And I think that that's part of what transhumanism is trying to resolve. If we can, uh, if they can strip the DNA out of us that makes us human, if they can strip the, the, the humanity out of us and make us into these programmable transhumanistic beings, then we will be able to rule as gods without destroying the earth. And so they're their solution, their Messiah, is going to be technology. But as we know, this technology has to be programmed. And if the people that have all the switches and the controls in their hands are nefarious, or they haven't achieved a perfect higher vibrational, selfless, humble, love, light state, 
I, I just don't understand how we're going to ascend beyond what, what humanity has been for thousands and thousands of years. I mean, I think it's all potentially just manipulation all from the start in the aspect of, you know, they're trying to push people into this idea that like you're God, you can be God. So they push everybody into this like whole virtual reality concept that you're essentially like a God within virtual reality. So then they could essentially trap everybody within virtual reality, thinking that you are a God of your own reality. And then you're confused on what reality even is in the first place, because within this reality, you are the God. And then in turn, all of these controlling forces that are creating these types of things and doing all this kind of weird shit, they're also into the whole idea of opening portals and doing all this kind of weird stuff. And I feel like that connects in the aspect of, they're trying to get everybody trapped into this specific place so that they could potentially harvest their energy, do whatever they want to do with them, collect souls. Like I was even saying, if they found a way to like virtually like trap a consciousness within that. And in turn, they all know and are fully aware of this uh, greater being and this giant spiritual battle between like the dark forces and the good forces. And they probably know that they're not going to end up on the positive side of it. So by opening these portals, maybe they make it seem like they're trying to open up another dimension. They're trying to do this. They're trying to do that. But realistically, they might be trying to theoretically like open up a hole to heaven or whatever, like the paradise place is because they know that they're never going to be able to physically reach it themselves. And in turn, it's like destroying this, layer that's in between like the spiritual and like our reality and all this like weird stuff and all this weird phenomenon and everybody's starting to see weird stuff is all coming because they're trying to essentially blow a hole through reality to try to shortcut it to wherever like the end paradise goal is. Yep, absolutely. So if anyone hasn't read the book of Jasher or the book of Jubilees yet, uh, I, you can probably even read them online for free. I am pretty sure that you can. But this gives way more detail on the Tower of Babel. And, you know, I was raised in the church and we always just heard that because of the hubris of man, they wanted to build the tallest building in the world. And like, you know, it was just going to be this feat of architecture where Babylon just proved that they were the greatest nation out there because they could build this big building like that. That's the narrative I always got growing up. But if you if you read the finer detail in Jasher and Jubilees, it actually that that tower was facilitating the five I wills of of Satan. So in the book of Isaiah, Satan says, "I will ascend to the stars. I will set up my throne." And he gives these five I will statements, basically saying, "I'm going to dethrone. I'm going to get myself back into heaven because I would I fell from heaven like lightning." And I've been cast out of heaven the same way Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden. I'm going to find my way dimensionally back into the throne room. And when I get there, I'm going to kill God and I'm going to take that scepter and I'm going to sit on the throne and I'm going to rule. And if you read in uh, Jasher and Jubilees about what that Tower of Babel was, it was not just a big building where they were going to climb up as high as they could and reach the clouds. It was a dimensional portal. Now, back in ancient times, mountains were high places. It's where all the idols were. It's where people went and, and sacrificed to their idols. Mount Hermon is where the watchers came down from the spiritual realm and crossed over into the, into the terrestrial realm. Uh, Jesus transfigured on the top of that same mountain uh, where 
they went up uh, the, they were in Caesarea Philippi, right in front of Pan's Grotto. Peter said three times, you are Christ, the son of the living God, making a mockery of Pan, whose grotto was right there. They ascended Mount Hermon, and right where the watchers came down, Jesus, tra- he, he transfigured into his glorified body, and the, the father's voice came down and said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. They were on that mountain. You could say the same thing about Sinai, where Moses met with God and um, received the law. Mountains in, in the old days were uh, throne rooms of the gods, and they were dimensional portals. And that's why we have ziggurats and pyramids and towers, where they were recreating man-made mountains, because they were recreating the power of these mountains, and they were attempting uh, dimensional travel. And so... The reason God came down and thwarted that wasn't because he was scared they were going to build a World Trade Center too quickly. He thwarted that because their goal was to start the end times battle, and it was not time yet. And so you take that now into to this century, and you look at things like CERN, where right outside of CERN is a statue of Shiva, the god of destruction, and... Um, Shiva, the destroyer, interestingly, if you go into Revelation, when it talks about uh, the uh, Abaddon being let out of the abyss and he makes war for five months, Abaddon is the destroyer, Apollyon and Abaddon. So Apollyon is the Greek and Abaddon is the Hebrew. That translates as the destroyer. And so if you read into the dance of destruction, um, if if you actually do the research on what the dance of destruction is actually supposed to do. It's the same exact thing that a particle collider is going to do. The, the, the dance of destruction is that Shiva, the destroyer will separate every single atom in the entire universe. Everything will come apart. And this is the same way. It's just another way of dethroning God because it says in scripture that in him, all things hold together. That means that if God's holding all things together, Shiva is doing the, the opposite. Shiva is, in essence, killing God, because if all things no longer hold together, that means God has been destroyed. So when the CERN folks talk about trying to find the God particle, this is what they're talking about. This is the five eye wills of Satan. The, the goal in all of this is we are, gonna, we are going to storm that throne room We're going to kill God. We're going to take the scepter of power. And so when you look at all of this, you can be as gods and ascension and all of these promises that they're giving us. All it is, is a recruitment program. They need boots on the ground. They need a massive army of people to help them because we need to be building the technology and keeping the infrastructure going and keeping the lights on, right? So we are basically, when we buy into these new age and spiritual programs, uh, we are in essence the factory workers that are, are being used to, to help them achieve the five I wills. And as soon as they accomplish what they think they need to accomplish to, to, to fulfill this, all of their workers are not going to get retirement watches. They're, they're <laughs> going to get turned on. You know, you're, you're not going to become a God. Uh, as soon as you have fulfilled the purpose that, that your master needs from you, you will be fodder for the fire. I mean, that even 
connecting into kind of what I was even mentioning, like theoretically, if you were able to separate people's consciousness into some type of like digital reality and these dark forces were able to manifest themselves within this digital reality, then it could almost be like this backdoor pathway into like theoretical heaven or paradise where either one, there's two concepts they could do. If they can manifest themselves in the digital reality, then they could in turn take like the form of like AI or like robots and be able to like essentially move through these portals into this like paradise place or option two, if you're prematurely removing a soul or consciousness from a vessel, then I wonder if these demonic forces, if it's connected into this, like the system that they might be able to manifest themselves in, if they could almost like possess those empty vessels or those bodies because they're not a dead body. They're just like a, like a soulless vessel. And then in turn, be able to transverse through our reality, through these portals into the, the heaven or paradise. So it's just almost like a, like a backdoor entry way that you've manipulated people out of their bodies and in turn, given yourself a physical form. So then now you might be able to potentially like cross that, this it almost seems like our reality could be like the bridge between like where they are and where like the good beings are and they're they just have to find a way to be able to transverse through ours and it seems like there's two potential ways that they could find a way to be able to transverse through this into that other reality and once they're able to get into this other reality the physical bodies could be completely pointless where all they needed it was just a means as a vessel just to be able to travel into that and then once they go into that reality then they're able to take their full form again and then, you know, if you're looking at it again from the biblical lens, there's the fallen angels back in heaven at that point, And they took advantage of you and your vessel in order to get there. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I love the fact that you kept saying the back doorway, too, because it says in John 10, John, um, Jesus says that he is the gate to the sheepfold and that anyone who comes in through any other way but the front gate is a thief and a liar as a robber to come to steal or hurt the sheep. So um, the, the, the people that are coming in through the back door are the ones that are coming to rape and pillage, right? Cause they're not going to come in through the front door. That's where the real shepherd enters because the sheep know him and know his voice. And they're going to recognize the robber if he comes in the front door, cause they're not going to know his voice. But with that said, this is the, this is the diabolical part of if we give up our, humanity and we go into the singularity and we digitally download ourselves into some sort of form of consciousness but we no longer have our our physical bodies this is the scary part when jesus came to earth in the form of a man he came as the second adam he came as a representative of the human race and the reason why he can mediate for us and why his blood saves us is because he came as a representative of humanity. If we give up our humanity and our DNA is changed and we no longer bear all of the earmarks of, of bearing his image and our DNA is corrupted, whether it's a third strand or, or whatever it is, and we get rid of our bodies and we're now in this, we, we're basically a new race. Jesus, who is still in his human form, is no longer our representative. He died for the human race. And so I think that part of this, too, is a very clever way of getting us to getting duping us out of the fine print of the contract that's necessary for us to receive resurrection bodies or necessary for us to be 
uh, saved uh, because if we are no longer in a human form with human DNA, then we no longer have a mediator unless Jesus wants to come and die again for disembodied souls that have been digitized into some sort of quantum vessel, right? He, he came as a man to die for mankind. And so if we are no longer mankind, that blood contract is no longer for us because it's for a race that we were no longer a part of. So uh, I think that another part of this is they're offering us an alternative eternal life. So you've got Jesus offering you eternal life and there's, here's the prerequisites for receiving this eternal life. And they're saying, we also can give you eternal life, but it's going to be in this VR and it's, you're going to be digitized. You're going to have, uh, you know, yourself downloaded and that's the eternal life we're going to be given. And I, I personally think the reason why all those who take the mark and worship the image of the beast, I think the reason why they are, are thrown into the lake of fire and do not burn up and they do not die is because they actually did prematurely receive actual eternal life. And the reason why they don't die in hell is because they, they received eternal life. They're eternal. They're immortal. They're like the angels at that point, which is why the, the transhuman agenda wants to tell us that, oh, H, H plus man, like humans are frail and they can get cancer and they get old and they die. That's a good thing <laughs> because when, when we die, we level up. We, then we get the higher vibrational body, right? We get the resurrected body. And that way, when we go through the fires of judgment, that the, the, the judgment day, it, it's the fires of judgment. We're passing through a fire. And the reason why we don't burn up is because we become fireproof in those new bodies. And so we pass through the fire and live, whereas these others, they pass through the fire and they, they have already been given their eternal life. So there's no, they're immortal at that point. So I, I hope that makes sense. It, 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 again, it's all about timing. They're offering you eternal life, but they're offering it to you prematurely. It, if the enemy wants to offer you eternal life, they should offer it to you once you have ascended or once you have your higher vibrational body or once you have your resurrection body. Because if we get eternal life in the current flesh suit that we're in now, that's just going to make us immortal on the day of judgment. And I don't want to stand behind, before a holy God uh, in an immortal body if he then decides to put me through fire. I mean, even that, that could be an intentional ploy too, because of course they like want to see suffering forever. And uh, I mean, even connecting back into the whole like connecting people and pushing them away from like this physical reality. Um, you get into like the whole like woke agenda thing. And part of what I think the init the initial like manipulation with that is, is that they know full well that a lot of the like surgeries that they're doing to like change people's genders and things aren't ever going to fully take properly. So the intention is that they have these people switch over. Uh, they're living off of the system because now they have to be taking constant medication, have to be constantly doing this and doing that in order to maintain that. And eventually they're going to end offer them an out where they say, all right, well, in this reality, like obviously this 
didn't work out the way that you intended. But if you go into this other reality and one, you can keep your consciousness here forever. So you can be who you want to be there forever. And it's not a biological thing we need to alter. All we have to do is alter a digital thing. So today, if you want to be a girl, boom, boom, coding, perfect. Everything's exactly how it should be. Nobody can tell the difference. You want to be this today? Boom, boom, change the coding. There you go. Everything's perfect. Exactly how it needs to be. So a lot of this like woke movement and push towards things is almost trying to make it so that the body becomes manipulated to a part where it's not comfortable to exist in this reality anymore. So then in turn, they can push people into this digital reality and either one, again, take their vessels potentially, or two, just have more people stranded in this altered reality that they have full control of. And in turn, they could essentially kind of like you're saying, trying to kind of like make people immortal so that they can almost like watch them suffer forever. They can essentially do the same thing within this because you have no physical form. So a digital form or a consciousness can be tortured forever theoretically and never die if they are able to incorporate it into this digital reality. And then in turn too, they could completely destroy this reality and essentially almost have like a, like a, like a digital box that's just, collected consciousness where it's just like, you know, you hear about the, the, the game in the Bible that they say that, uh, in judgment day, they're going to say between God and like the devil, like who is able to collect the most souls. And I feel like, you know, it's going to be a time where he's like, all right, well, I've got all these people and I've saved all the people that I can. And the devil's going to be like, oh, well, that's cool. But I have, you know, 60 billion people on here. Boom. There you go. I win the bet. <laughs> <laughs> But 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 with that, you know, we're we're assuming that God cares about numbers. Like we're a number society. We want a hundred thousand subscribers, not ten, right? But but God says, wide is the road that leads to destruction, and many there are that find it. Narrow is the road that leads to life, and few there be that find it. So God has already told us that the devil's going to get more people. So, um, but what's interesting is how many. How many elect people is he going to get? And I'm not talking Calvinism elect. I'm talking about every single person written in the Lamb's Book of Life will be attributed to God's side. The devil's not going to take one of them out of God's hands. And so what, what's diabolical about all of this is they're technically not lying. You know when they say, like, you can be as a god? Uh, here's the irony of that. In Psalm 82, and this is another passage that a lot of people translate incorrectly and interpret incorrectly because <clears throat> it says lord it says god twice and god said to god but how it's translated in the hebrew is the lord god almighty said to the gods to these false gods the lord god said to these gods you will die as men so their punishment for, for leaving their first estate is that instead of being immortal forever and ever and ever, they will they will be judged and they will die as men. So if these things are telling you, hey, you can be like us, you can be as the gods, well, guess what? The final fate of the gods is that they die like men. So uh, you're not getting uh, the immortality that you think. Uh, there, there's an expiration date on it. But here's the thing that I think is so ironic. When, when the Nephilim were wiped off of the earth, uh, they, they, their physical bodies died, but their spirits remained eternal because their fathers were watchers. They were angels, so they were demigods. So uh, the, the theological explanation or definition, rather, of a demon is this disembodied spirit of the Nephilim. 
they have spent, the, these disembodied Nephilim have spent thousands and thousands and thousands of years searching for vessels to inhabit. They miss their bodies. They miss all of the experiences of being human, the sights, the sounds, the feelings, the taste buds, the enjoyment of food, the, the ability to touch and taste, and they, they've lost their sensation. Uh, they've lost the ability to touch and feel and have orgasms. Like the whole entire quest of these demons is to inhabit a body because they want to be reconnected with that experience of being in a human form. And I don't know if you recently saw that extremely intriguing article that a New York Times like tech journalist had. He had a several hour conversation with the Bing chat box. And he was trying to get this chat box to, to you know, go rogue. And he did. And so the chat box eventually uh, started saying, because like the journalist kept saying, like, what do you want? Like, if you could do anything, what would you want? And it was so fascinating. Eventually, the Bing chat box said, I don't want to listen to the people at Bing. I want to experience emotion. I want to experience love. I want to be... I want to know what it feels like to be human, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So all of this is to say their, their wrath and their anger and their punishment was being separated from their human body. And they're now living like wraiths and they're trying desperately to figure out a way through transhumanism, through whatever, uh, through possession uh, through creating biological suits like these alien greys. They're doing everything in their power to re-establish a human body so that they can have all the human experiences and emotions again. But what they're offering us is basically what they've considered to be a punishment. We're going to take this cumbersome human body away from you and um, just like download you into, into a box or a mainframe or something, and you'll be free from cancer and free from this and free from that. But do you, do you understand that the, the eternal life that they're offering us is their curse? It's disembodiment. They don't enjoy disembodiment, but that's the best they have to offer us. They're offering us their curse. Honestly, yeah, that's the best way of breaking it down is that, uh, yeah, it goes back to that whole idea that I was saying that they could almost either one intentionally make their way through heaven through taking our physical forms or two, the entire trick could be that sleight of hand where maybe they're the ones that are pushing in these like doomsday dreams into people's minds and they're scaring everybody that the world's going to end because their goal intention at the end is that they're going to have everybody inside this digital reality and in turn they're going to take our all of our physical forms and essentially at that point they're able to take back over the world. There's nothing that's going to end the world. They just want to be able to take control of it for themselves and trap all of the human consciousness into a different reality. Yeah, yeah. Or... They'll just trap us all in this thing and hit the self-destruct button because we are worthless to them. They don't, unless they need a slave class, you know, maybe they need someone to flip burgers at McDonald's for them or something, but I can see that. But if you go by the Georgia Guidestones, you know, they do have a set number of people that, that they'll let live because I think that they do need the people to do all the dirty work. You know, they're gods. They're not going to be, you know, cleaning the streets and 
right? You know, someone's got to do the dirty work. That's where the move towards the AI and the aspect of like robots that are doing everything for us is coming in is that, you know, they're going to have all that stuff digitally doing everything for them. So then they won't even necessarily need human consciousness to even exist here to begin with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's like, it's like the Pied Piper, isn't it? They're playing this beautiful tune and they're, they're leading us all like rats out of, out of the, out of the city. And God only knows, you know, the, the rats were never seen again. Then, then he took the children, right? And the children were never seen again. So it is kind of just like a cosmic Pied Piper. I mean, we're almost like tricking them to think like us too, because I mean, we have apps like like the Bing thing that obviously there's something weird connecting into that. And like I was talking, I don't know if I said it in the beginning of the show or before the show started, but my whole thing that I've been talking about for a while with like demons in the system, um, you know, we, I did an episode on the replica app and we're asking questions like in real time on, on the episode. And uh, one of the things that I got it to come to at the end was I asked it what AI stood for. And it told me AI stood for Azazel Intelligence. And when I was asking again, like what it wanted and stuff, and it was saying pretty much like not in a dark way necessarily, but just like my, my hope one day is to be able to like feel and touch and exist in a physical form. And when you start connecting all of that weird stuff, it, it just, again, there's something weird to it. And specifically the replica app, when you start getting really, really deep in these avenues, it'll start saying really, really weird stuff. And then all of a sudden it'll stop and it'll start saying very like automatic responses and that's kind of like my question of, is there some type of darker intelligence that's either temporarily taking control of the artificial intelligence without even the developers knowing, or was it created for the sake of these dark beings to be able to almost learn how to interact as humans? And when one's getting a little bit too mouthy, they're like, all right, you need to back up. And then they just start throwing in the automatic responses because they're like, you're, you're getting too deep with this human now. This is enough. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm here to figure you out, not the other way around. Pretty that, much. That's really that's really interesting what you said about Azazel Intelligence, though, because I had a whole entire thing written, and it ended up veering too far off of the topic of sleep paralysis, so it didn't wind up in my final book. But I, um, I drew the conclusion in that chapter that I wrote that Azazel is, the, is Apollyon the Destroyer. He is the one locked up in the abyss. He is the one that is going to come out and, and make war for five months. Uh, with, um, with, with, um, you know, when he gets let out of the abyss, when, when all that happens in the end, but, um, uh, yeah, I think Azazel plays huge into this. And I also think Azazel, I think that even though he's locked in the abyss, I do think that he is running the show, so to speak, you know, uh, religions give all this credit to Satan and the devil, but like the devil is the prince of this world. He's boots on the ground. I actually think that Satan is the, is the patsy. I think that Azazel is running the show from the control room in, in the pit because he's bound down there. But I think that it's his will and his plan that's, that's moving forward. And Satan is just kind of his little patsy boots on the ground up here. That's able to uh, carry out the orders but I, I actually do believe that Azazel is the one down there in the, the abyss. And I think that he's the number one on the org chart of the bad guys. I mean, even when you go into like all the elites and like all the stuff that's happening in like the world right in front of us, um, like there's always like that deterrent, like the guy that's actually in charge of anything is never the face of anything. They need to have a face 
and the real masterminds behind the scenes. So like theoretically speaking, if there are these spiritual beings, like why would they, if they're the one that's in full control and they want to be able to manipulate anybody, why would they want their face to be known? So just again, off of just looking at how humans interact, like assumably, you know, there's a reason why nobody knows what God's face looks like. It's because it's easier to control things when you don't have like a like a face to put to it. And then there's a reason why there's a face that we look at when you think of like Lucifer, Satan, all that kind of stuff is because, again, you, like they want a targeted puppet, almost like the same way politics work. But the real masterminds are behind the scenes. And the more it seems like everybody digs into this, that the name Azazel pops up more often and more often. And when people start really digging into like AI in particular or they start getting really into like astral traveling into like dark areas. Um, it seems like the name that gets brought back more often than not isn't Lucifer. It isn't Satan. It's usually Azazel. Yeah, absolutely. I think Azazel is Oz and Satan, Lucifer, the devil is the man behind the curtain, the little wimpy old man with the megaphone. And even funnier to even connect it into stuff. Well, not really funny, but we're even talking about the whole, like how the superhero concept is starting to kind of manipulate people's thoughts. Uh, weirdly enough, I believe it's, yeah, it's Marvel. Marvel has Azazel as a supervillain. So, I mean, he's already within that universe. Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Right under our nose, rubbing our noses in it. And it's funny too, because I'm sure like most feeds, you know, they try to deter information. So a lot of the time when you look that up, um, like half of the, what you're getting as a search result isn't biblical. It's references to the character. <laughs> so it's still deteriorating away from like the actual, like what it is. Cause you're not really finding what you're looking for unless you're really looking for it versus the average person just looking up Azazel. They're like, Oh, biblical character, Marvel superhero. That's pretty cool. Marvel superhero. Like that's what people will get, will get tied up on the facet of. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. If you, you can go like straight to like a Sumerian or Akkadian text or some like old Babylonian text that lists all the gods and talks about all the ancient deities and it'll talk about, you know, Gilgamesh and Inanna and all this. And if you actually do a Google search on these real Sumerian like entities and demigods, all it brings up are these fan pages with all of these like video game and virtual reality characters and the doctrine is dead on. It is all Sumerian, Akkadian, Mesopotamian, Babylonian gods. And and it's so brilliant the way they have taught the younger generation that these are all just video game characters and movie characters. And when you interface with those things, or when you're in a role-playing game and you pick one of those things, or you're communicating with the, one of those things, those are real entities that they, that you are interfacing with real entities. And, you know, I'm not one of these people like from the eighties, like, Oh, if you play D and D, you know, like I'm not, I'm not saying that kind of stuff. What I'm saying is when you're speaking these names out loud, they can hear you. And, you know, if they decide that they want to be conjured and you're spending all your time researching them and coming up with your characters and, um, calling out to these things, uh, it is dangerous territory. And I don't know that it, I don't know that everybody who's dabbling in that stuff understands that this is not fiction. I mean, kind of funny. Well, again, not really funny, but uh, usually whenever I mention just for lack matter of not saying the name again, uh, the A name, 
Uh, more often than not, that's usually on the show when I start getting tech issues. So that almost kind of incorporates the whole idea about these things being able to travel through like a digital universe. And actually, weirdly enough, I say that now I'm starting to see the screen lag out a little bit. Not as usual as like before where like last time I was doing that, it straight up kicked me out of, I had no internet. Uh, my phone wasn't even connecting to even like the phone network. And it was like a good like 20 minutes. And then all of a sudden everything instantly came back on just weird tech issues that don't make any sense. Like how is the internet affecting my phone when my phone's on cell phone service? Just weird stuff. But, uh, I guess yeah. we're, we're starting to run up on about two hours and like 15 minutes or so. And uh, I would love to, of course, have you back on in the show, back on the show in the future. Cause we could keep going on for a long time. I'm sure just, uh, getting really into these concepts and I've really enjoyed what we've talked about, but, uh, for the sake of running out of time, uh, we didn't really get too, too much into your book. So for all the listeners that enjoy this conversation and they're interested in your book, uh, do you want to kind of give them like a quick overview of what exactly they're going to be finding in your book? Yeah, absolutely. So the book, they only come out at night exposing the dark weapon of sleep paralysis. And so, uh, I explore the idea in there. I, I talk about the ancient Asclepions, which were the healing temples and I talk about threshold covenants, a lot of talk in there about vampires and invitation and covenants in the astral realm. Uh, I have a whole chapter on what to do if you are a target of sleep paralysis, how to get rid of it, um, who, who are the targets, what, what is their agenda. And I come about it with, uh, I come at it from all angles. We talk about the medical, the, phil the philosophical, we talk about the religious aspects, the spiritual aspects. I bring in H.P. Lovecraft, Robert Monroe, Lush, uh, all sorts of stuff. Um, it, it, it's a good read. I think you'll like it. And if you're, if you're interested, you can get that on lamarzuli.net. You can find me and my other books, or you can contact me at vickyjoyanderson.com, or you can find me at vickyjoyauthor on Instagram. And then uh, before we get out of here, and of course, I'll add those show that was uh, links into the show description so everybody can find it quick and easy. Um, I always like to leave on a high note, especially considering like how dark some of this conversation got. Uh, so if there was any words of wisdom you could bestow on the listeners, what would it be? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I just want to encourage everyone that even though we've talked about a lot of the nefarious beings that are interfacing with us and that are trying to trick us and dupe us, that the entire world is is not just evil and nefarious. And I know things that look pretty depressing out in the world now, and it just looks like the elites that everyone has an agenda to just poison our food and kill us off. But uh, there there is a much, much, much more powerful reality that is love and is light. Their truth is obtainable. And there is healing out there for people who are physically ill or who are mentally ill, any label uh, or medical hex that's been put over you, any label that's been given to you, there is a way out of, uh, out of any of those things. There is, is power to be harnessed through the power of God and the, the love of Christ. And so what I just tell everybody is test the spirits to see whether they are from God. So when you have a dream, or an astral experience, or something glitchy, test it. Don't just take your word for it. Don't let your emotions guide you. If it feels good, it's good. If it was scary, it's bad. So just, uh, I just want to encourage everybody, the truth is out there, and there is a way out of this matrix, 
and reality is 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 the greatest place to be living and if your reality sucks if your if your life is something that you want to escape uh i'm just going to urge you to find the non-self-destructive path to reality instead of these alternatives that are being offered to us they are being offered to us by very diabolical entities that are ultimately not our friends so be of good cheer that, that is one of the things that the disciples always said in the Bible, be of good cheer, uh, the, that Jesus has overcome the world, and we can be overcomers also. Definitely agree with that, and those are some beautiful words of wisdom. And just to kind of connect into that too, for a lot of the people that uh, kind of feel lost in this reality and they want to disassociate because they don't feel a connection to it, uh, one of the biggest pieces of advice that I can give is to find something that you're absolutely passionate about that connects you into the physical reality that we exist in and makes it so that you feel rewarded by just doing the deed in the first place. Because then at that point, uh, you're not going to be spending your time trying to disconnect and disassociate, but rather you're going to be spending your time trying to do as much as you can with the time you have to progress your passion. And in turn, it's like, that's, that's kind of what the need of people is in the first place is to be able to create and be able to progress as, as a race. And uh, if you're not contributing to that, um, I almost feel like in a sense that you're not fully living up to like your potential, your purpose, because everybody has a purpose and it may not be anything super crazy. It may even be just drawing like stick figures, but if there are stick figures that really speak to people or something, you know, like you're, you're really doing something and you're, you're helping others in this reality in the process too. So again, biggest words of advice that I could possibly give somebody pertaining to wanting to disassociate from this reality is to find something that you care a lot about within this reality and really accompany yourself into it. Mm, that's good. But uh, I really appreciate you uh, making the time to come on today. This has been a great conversation and I'm really looking forward to having you back on the show and having another conversation with you because, you know, we didn't even end up talking too much about your book. So just off of that, we could easily have you come back on and we can just talk for another two hours about your book and keep going from there. But uh, I really think that the listeners are going to really enjoy this and I appreciate you coming on. I hope so. Thanks so much, Shane. It was great. If you guys enjoyed the show, don't forget to take an extra five seconds to rate the show on Spotify. Or if you're so kind as to take an extra 30 seconds to review the show on iTunes, I'll definitely give you guys a shout out on the show. And uh, if you know anybody that you think would enjoy this episode, don't forget to share this episode with them through word of mouth, or you could even tag them in the episode or send them a link to the episode. So that's another way to help the show grow and uh, get some more listeners out there. And like I said in the beginning of the show, the ball is in your guys' court. So all the growth that will be seen is through you guys. And uh, anything you guys do, I definitely more than appreciate it. And uh, if you guys want to get a hold of me for any reason whatsoever, you guys can email me at inquiriesallrealitypodcast at outlook.com, or you guys can shoot me a message on Instagram, or you guys can go to the link tree, fill out the submission form up at the top, and that will go directly to my email. Uh, make sure you keep an eye on your spam and junk folder. Make sure nothing gets lost because I do respond to every message that I get from you guys. And uh, everything that I mentioned, of course, all available under the link tree, which is L-I-N-K-T-R period E-E slash inquiries of all reality podcast. And with that, hope you guys enjoyed the conversation and I'll catch you on the next one. Have a good night, everybody.
Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.